lying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scans. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million albums. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. A late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lima bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play who with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like. I wish, I wish that every time we love it, it feels just like this. Like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we move it, it feels just like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey? We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild. And our circumference make assumptions, so they nothing new. Fuck a mile, fuck a you. I've been chewing through these rappers, flavors lasting over loop. Gumbo stew, of a better Carolina rice. Two J's and I'm dying nobody. Good times, hanging in a child line. Waiting for a hot meal, lighting up the combine. Cats and kittens. I'm not sure why the music just cut out suddenly like that, but it is good to be here. I guess I took a little too long to get running and maybe I ran out of ran out of track because I was so distracted by all the fun I'm having on Twitter today. Of course, as always, I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and this is the debrief. We come together every Monday and Thursday to talk about the latest episode of Bad Faith Podcast and anything else that might be on your mind. This week on Bad Faith, uh, we had a little bit of a break from politics and talked about the new Jordan Peele uh, film, Nope. It is filled with spoilers, warning, apologies if you haven't seen it. Um, We had a kind of diversity of views on it. I was favorable. Leslie was not. He felt it didn't really encompass, you know, it didn't really satisfy the horror beats that he wanted as uh, really a horror aficionado and purist in that respect. Uh, and, you know, I think T was kind of in the middle there. They had some critique of the character development, whether or not the sibling relationship was doing enough work, whether or not some of the themes were too theming and too stacked on each other. And I'm very curious to know what you think about all that. 
But as also happens kind of semi-regularly on a Thursday, um, the institutionalist blue check men of Twitter the Twitter left have decided they are very, very angry at my latest radar because apparently I didn't say in the exact words they tweeted the thing that I said in my radar, or most likely they just didn't listen to the radar at all and decided they want to do what they always want to do, which is patronize me on the internet. Every day I wake up and engage with people who I frankly have private thoughts about their insight and intelligent levels and I don't say it out loud and despite everything I've accomplished in my life people who I am exercising restraint with every day of my life feel extremely empowered to get on the internet and imply that I am lacking in intelligence some people even asking me to post my test scores I promise you you wouldn't like it if I did (laughs) Um, but that's a whole other story we obviously don't have to talk about the latest Twitter drama over whether or not the FBI is good. Apparently, this is a controversial take on the left. I also know that there was a little bit of back and forth between S&T and Jimmy Dore about this question. I actually don't think they're in disagreement, so that back and forth was a little bit frustrating. I do think there is and should be generalized consensus that the FBI is bad, regardless of whether or not we think there is an underlying justification for investigating Donald Trump and um, having a warrant issued to look through his documents to see if there were any um, uh, classified documents that he did not uh, unclassify and which he took home um, improperly. Um, But some people don't seem to be able to disaggregate those kinds of issues, and some people disagree with me, some in good faith, some in bad, but some people disagree with me that we should take this opportunity where conservatives are saying that they are skeptical of the quote-unquote deep state to help push our arguments about how a lot of these um, institutions like uh, criminal justice institutions, police, FBI, CIA, the left has been arguing for a very long time, especially the black left, I would argue, has been arguing for a very long time, that these are always organizations that have always upheld power in centrist politics, whether centrist on the left or centrist on the right, And that we should not be championing them, even if we believe that there should be um, an investigation into underlying crimes. There, of course, has been an an argument for a long time about how um, the, you know, NSA or let's say um, Border Patrol or organizations that we have invested with more authority over the years and that we managed to solve crimes and survive the society without these institutions. So of course saying you don't want an institution to exist or you want it to have less power is not the same thing as saying you want powerful people held accountable. Uh, And so in my radar, I implored conservatives who are making arguments now to, you know, in the context of Donald Trump to keep that energy up when people who are vulnerable are being uh, persecuted by these institutions as well. And not just to make the argument in bad faith, like folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene do. Unfortunately, the big brain geniuses of the internet, like Owen Higgins, uh, decided to pretend that wasn't what was said and have done me the incredible service of promulgating uh, my, Radar far and wide, and it is doing better than almost everything else on Rising right now. You should definitely go and watch it if you haven't already and help by uh, clicking like and retweeting it um, because, you know, we don't want Ian Owen Higgins to do all of the work. (laughs) It wouldn't be fair for him to have all of the burden of spreading my words, thoughts, and feelings far and wide. We should definitely help him out in that effort. But let's get to it. Lots to talk about. Whatever's on your mind. Kevin, you're up first. Shoot your shot. Hello? Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can hear you. What's on your mind? 
I'm here about the Twitter drama. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shoot, Sorry. Kevin. I've just been frustrated looking at your Twitter feed uh, for the past few hours. And, um, you know, it just feels to me like every time the left, like, gets, like, a minor win, we can't help but shoot ourselves in the foot by, like, you know, just completely misunderstanding the point of what's being said. Like, every time there's been a controversy about one of your radars where, like, people on the left will take issue with it, they always pick out certain words or phrases of it, and, like, it's always the same words or phrases. They're like, you said this specific word or phrase, and clearly that means that, you know, you're helping out the right, and uh, it never actually acknowledges the big picture of what your radar or video is trying to uh, actually convey. And I feel like part of the reason for that is there's a little bit of projection going on where there's some people on the left who have this liberal tendency to infantilize the general population where they, they don't mm-hmm. think people will actually understand uh, the full picture of your radar. They think they'll just read the headline or just read the tweet and then suddenly change their minds about something or be convinced of something. Like they think some somebody on the left who follows you is going to read your tweet. It's like, oh, you said the words Marjorie Taylor Greene is right. I'm not going to read the rest of this tweet. And I'm just going to suddenly become a fan of Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm going to move to her district and vote for her now and donate to her campaign because you said those words in that particular order. (laughs) You're right. I think it speaks to a kind of insecurity, a really deep insecurity in the power of your own arguments and the, the integrity of your own political views. If you think me saying something like, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a broken clock that's right twice a day, and here's the one of those times, is going to cause there to be some mass defection from the left. It also, I think, presumes the wrong audience. I'm talking to a conservative audience on Rising. If I were to go to a DSA meeting, I wouldn't open with Marjorie Taylor Greene is right. I'd open with, hey, conservatives in bad faith are acting like they care about dismantling the deep state. Let's try to capitalize on this moment and see if we can get legislation out there, promulgate something to force them to vote up and down on this thing that they say they care about. And we'll either expose them as frauds or we'll actually get something good out of this on a bipartisan bill. Right. I I feel like ironically, like they're the only ones who are actually like looking at the tweet and only reading like parts of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're feeling. I feel like they're projecting onto other people. So, I mean, it it just it just seems like really disingenuous. And I I have no idea what the whole like point of these people, like, you know, the men on the institutionalized left with the blue check marks, as you put it, like, I, I don't know what like their goal is if it's just to make themselves feel better or they feel like they're actually helping out the left in this way. But I don't know if you read it, but I feel like Freddie DeBoer had a really good article on this on his Substack recently. Oh yeah. Uh, that's literally called like the, I, I think it was called like something like the white men with blue check marks who are like doing really good things. on. Oh yeah. That's like that. vaguely familiar. Yeah. And Ogan Higgins was on that list too. I run. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I really don't want to talk shit about anybody. Like I'm really going out of my way to not, if there were one person that I would completely want to blow up for having demonstrated repeated lapses in integrity and also, you know, possesses insufficient talent to even begin to open his mouth and say anything about anyone else, it would be Owen Higgins. But that's all I'll say about that. I know way too much about what he is capable of for him to ever think that he should be stepping to anybody or correcting anybody or offering anybody up. I don't think he said an insightful thing in his entire life. And truly, like, I, I have not said any, I, have, I wouldn't say that about Chank Uger. I wouldn't say that about any number of people I disagree with. I will keep it kosher and clean. 
But truly, I think that Owen Higgins is one of the most destructive people on the left, more so than any other, pe- other people I have disagreements with. I've disagreed with Sam Cedar. I've disagreed with nobody concert. I disagree with a lot of people. I don't have any interest in encouraging people not to listen to them because at the end of the day, they nine times out of 10 are saying good lefty things that I agree with. And if there are people who like their messaging, I'm happy they exist on the left. However, I think Owen Higgins is a particularly toxic, toxic, nauseous person <laughs> um, who has behaved with so little integrity that I'm like really on a, on a really a thread about how exercising restraint and talking about him. Um, just truly zero value add to the left. But, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> I've muted him. I, I, I recommend the same. I mean, some of us remember when he was shitting on people showing up for the force of the vote. Oh, protest. yeah. That was the moment. That was the moment that I said, well, why am I trying to keep this person's, you know, like protect this person at all? Like at that point, you are hurting the left. You know, you're not just indifferent. I mean, for all all of that, I was frustrated with Sam Cedar at the time. You know, he wasn't out there like openly mocking people who had lost children because of lack of health care, who were protesting and crying at a rally to try to do anything they could in the memory of their lost fucking child. No, that's just Owen Higgins. That's the kind of person Owen Higgins is. But, you know, that that him working that out is between him and whatever he believes in. All right, well, I hope I was able to get some of your frustration out. <laughs> thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for calling in, Kevin. I appreciate you. All right, Andy, what's on your mind? Andy? I see you're unmuted, but I don't hear you. Okay, Andy, if you, this might be the app messing up. If you go to the end, I'll call you back up. Uh, Eric, what's on your mind? Oh, wait. Hey, can you hear me? I can. What's going on tonight, Nothing much. I just came back from work, so I was glad I was able to make the call in. Great. I'm also glad for that for you. A long day. Yeah, it was a long day. Yeah, I was I work I was working on set, so it was like a 12, 12 13 hour day. Um, but You're I have in some, the industry. Okay, sorry. Let me, let yeah, me I'm in the film industry, cool, but cool, I do cool. have some beef with you. Okay, please. Yes, you came at my Star Wars. Now I'm appreciate. <laughs> what did I say? You came at because you when you was talking. Those what like two callings ago. Someone you bringing up Star Trek, and there was like how that's white people. And it's like, and then someone said Star Wars. You know that white people shit. Want to take some? <laughs> Take a little umbrage with that. <laughs> You're right. That wasn't fair. I think I came back around and was like, you did have Lando, though. You did have yes, Lando. We had Lando. We had Lando. But um, because I like film, so I'm going to talk about the, the Nope. Um, I'm more mm. on your side when it came to Nope. Mm. I thought Nope was actually a really good movie. Um, I think there's some elements that I found that Leslie and I can't remember the other gentleman's name. Trevor. Were, mm-hmm. Yeah. We're like, I think they're just overthinking it. Mm. I think Nope. Yeah, I think Nope. Yeah, I think Nope is more of a more unlike us and Get Out. This was more of a streamline. Uh, I, I, I consider it like a monster movie. I think it. what I liked about it was I think he flipped everyone the way he commercialized it and marketed. It, you think you're getting a UFO type movie. But in, to me, in reality, it's a monster movie. Because one of the things mm-hmm. I think they were missing is that in the beginning, they thought what they were seeing was a UFO. Mm-hmm. So they think it aliens and it turned out to be a monster. It turned mm-hmm. out to be more like an animal. Mm-hmm. 
And I know one of the conversations you guys were having when you was talking about the idea of spectacle, which I definitely think is one of the themes. One of the thing, things I think that was missed was why uh, someone like, um, I can't remember, what's it, Daniel Kaluuya was able to do what he did because he had a respect for nature and for animals. So he mm-hmm. took the time to learn and understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it necessarily was we can't utilize animals for like certain, you know, entertainment value. But mm-hmm. I also think there was an element of you have to have a certain level of respect to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's a really important distinction. And that, that theme of respect is kind of going through, right? Like ultimately the first opening scene or not the opening opening. Well, all of it, all of it. The, mm-hmm. the thing with the monkey happens because they don't respect the monkey. They don't respect that it's a wild animal. They don't respect that you can't just put a t-shirt on it and put it in front of like a thousand cameras and flashing lights and expect nothing to go wrong. The incident with, um, you know, the, uh, Stephen Young's character having overreach and with the horses because he didn't respect this thing in the sky. The incident in that opening scene at the movie studio is all of these people almost getting kicked in the head by this horse because they didn't respect, you know, what it, like the value of having a horse on set, a live horse on set, the, the expertise that is required to manage a horse like that on set. They just saw some like, this is my view oh. and maybe projecting my own racial feelings about this two like young reg- regular schmegular degular black kids on set and just assume that there wasn't any level of skill or expertise here and they felt that they could just replace them with a me- mechanical horse and it would be even Steven Samo. And and I think that's a, that's an important I liked I liked that as a theme and I thought it was much simpler and cleaner thematically mm-hmm. than us was. Cuz I'm someone like I did like us mm-hmm. but I definitely feel like the ending just didn't go anywhere. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Because to me, us was going, to me, if us ending had ended somewhere like on the level of Get Out, I think it probably would have been one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yeah. But because it didn't, it was just, oh, this was a well-acted, well-shot movie. Yeah. But fell a little flat towards the end. And another element that I think this probably goes on maybe towards the director because it requires you to have the understanding about chimp behavior. Mm -hmm. When you see... um, uh, Yun, uh, what's the guy? Steven Yun's character mm-hmm. as a young kid, and you see him fist bump the uh, monkey, the chimpanzee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He took that as, for the way I saw, it, he took that as, oh, I am somehow, I am, I'm good. Mm. Like I did something that, oh, this monkey doesn't, the chimpanzee doesn't want to harm me because I'm, a, I'm a good person. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I think he, oh, he. He didn't understand that because he didn't understand how chimpanzees. And mm-hmm. one of the things that happened is when you see the shoe standing mm-hmm. up, a lot of people were like, why is that shoe standing up like that? And I think the purpose of that was it was such an, yes, it's odd. And it was meant to be odd because it was such an odd thing to see that mm-hmm. it, it took his eyes off the chimpanzee. And because mm-hmm. he wasn't looking the chimpanzee in the eye, which you're not supposed mm-hmm. to do, you don't see a threat. And when the chimpanzee went to touch him, when chimpanzees do that, that's like, you. it's not saying they like you. That's saying like, okay, you're not a threat. You cool. I'm not Eric, you are blowing you. my mind right now. Eric, you are blowing yeah. my mind right now. I didn't even notice the thing about the eye contact. That's such a solid point. <laughs> because I know a lot of people were talking about like, why is the shoe just standing up like that? And I think the purpose was, it was such an odd thing it's like you know when you flip a coin and it falls on the floor and it mm-hmm. happens to land 
uh, on, you know, on his side, standing mm-hmm. straight up. And you're like, whoa, it was such a drastic thing that it caused him to divert his eyes away, which saved his life. Mm-hmm. That so, yeah, is, I, I really like that take. I really like mm-hmm. that take. Also, like, it's a surreal movie. Like, I, I was happy with the shoe being upright. You know, it's like everything is random. Like, that's the whole mm-hmm. and, and to your point, like, monkey saving his life, it wasn't about his moral fortitude or, you know, the monkey preferring him or liking him. It was as random an occurrence as the shoe being, yes. you know, up in the air and that one drop on it in the way that it was. I also thought, like, separate and apart from whether what you thought about the whole movie, I really enjoyed the scene. Like, I know, like, yeah. Let's see. The, 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 the scene with him and them in, in Steven's office and him walking through all the paraphernalia from when he was a kid star and the monkey flashback, I will fully acknowledge that it never gets like explicitly tied back in and it does kind of sit in the movie randomly. However, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it so much that I did not care <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I will fully admit that it was a loose thread. I don't care because there was something about – like the emotionality. I mean, there's layers of this from a racial perspective. Like I liked as a black viewer, I rooted for Steven as a person of color character in the movie. And I liked that Kiki's character acknowledged that like, Oh, I always liked you as a kid because you were like the not white one in the family. Like I related to you, even though you weren't black. And I was like, Oh yeah, fuck yeah. Like that's what we do. When there was a black power ranger, I rooted for her. When the yellow power ranger was Asian, I rooted for her. (laughs) That's so true. So I, I felt like there was something that was just very true about that. And it was an, it was like a detail that would not have been put in absent a black writer. And then there mm-hmm. was, this, I felt this really uneasy, uneasiness about his character because I did empathize with him on those levels. I saw how he was being exploited in the same way as this monkey as like a token on the set and the plot at the same time that I saw that he wasn't learning any lessons from that experience and going ahead and exploiting this alien thing in the sky. And so like, you know, both T, but especially Leslie were kind of saying, you know, there was a level of pathos missing and da da da. But I actually felt that maybe it's just my own bias as a black person, but I felt like a level of connection to that character just because like, even, Mm -hmm. even if he was doing the wrong thing, the way that he was having these panic attacks and needing to be coached by his wife and kind of the sadness of his diminished life on this weird campy ranch when he used to be a TV star and the way that he was like just this discarded relic in the same way that all of the things that were discarded relics in his closet. And he every part of that. And he even says it himself when he says that if that event never happened, I could have been the next big thing. Now I'm relegated to pretty much, you know, carnival tricks and sideshows. And another thing that I like, one of the things I really liked about the movies, I think what Jordan Peele did was he was able to do really quick like theme points that kind of like you just see it real quick and it but it's it's meaningful for example i love the relationship between kiki palmer and daniel keely it's a Mm -hmm. very like black sibling relationship Mm -hmm. when they have that little moment where he's like i told you that nigga was going to bring a camera without no (laughs) no that like that's me and my brothers when he when they when they do the little uh three uh uh clap clap their hands three times i'm like me and my brother does that all the time yeah 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 yeah. so he has that and i also like the fact that he hinted on with uh really quick the relationship between kiki and the father because i think Mm -hmm. it's even more so I think one of the reasons is that Kiki has the issue with the father 
or even though she does love him, is that it's like you know a black male father pick because mm-hmm. I think he I think he got it wrong. He should have taken because Daniel Killing didn't want to do it mm-hmm. because of obligation. Exactly because mm-hmm. he was the black son. Mm-hmm. You have to take on my legacy when his daughter would have probably been the better one to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she, she wanted had the showmanship to skills. She just needed to be yeah, trained. And she she, wa- that's all. Exactly. Just, and she wanted it. And then when she like when she has that moment, she's like, "You took my horse. That mm-hmm. was mine." Like I think that was her saying. Like this was supposed to be mine. I think mm-hmm. really what Daniel Daniel Kelly envies her because he wanted her life and she wanted mm-hmm. his life. Yes. So I yes. think really, yeah, that's a moment in there that he does, and he and he touches it, but it doesn't make them. They don't hate each other, which I think I think Leslie might have had an issue with that because in a typical movie that would have grown such a level of resentment between mm-hmm. the brother and the sister that it would have been a big thing, but they don't let it be a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They like Ugh. subtly acknowledge. Like okay, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's made a, it's created a little distance between them. Yeah. But like they're not they're still family. And I mm-hmm. felt like, I don't know if this, again, is my own bias because I have an older brother and I like everything you just described about, oh, you're the boy, so you should do the sports and do the dad things. Like that was kind of our dynamic. I was the one that was interested in sports. My brother couldn't care less. <laughs> like the <laughs> like that, that whole dynamic, like it, it makes perfect sense to me. And the fact that Jordan Peele was able to draw that all out using very little dialogue having the father barely be alive for like two minutes in the entire movie only mm-hmm. having one brief, not very indulgent flashback scene where basically no words were spoken. And it was all about the glance they exchanged outside the window with Kiki's narration about how she, yes. you know, wanted to be training the horse. Like you took my horse. And then Daniel Kaluuya's admission that like, we didn't even win anyway. Like we didn't even get the job anywhere, whatever it was. Like it wasn't even and- worth you having been derailed like that. And I think one of the things he does well is that even though he kills the father early on, mm-hmm. the spirit of the father exists throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The father, the father never really goes away. The spirit, it, it what moves him. And um, one of the things that I also, I know, I like, I know they they brought up a, like some of the elements where he you know he's like, oh, this seems very Steven Spielberg. I just think that you know, uh, I think they read a little bit too much in that, and the fact that. I view that as Jordan Peele being a fan mm. of Steven Spielberg and these movies. So, mm. oh, I got to get the guy who was in Jaws to be the cinematographer. Yeah, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Or I got to like, there's a particular shot where Kiki's riding the motorcycle and she slides into the well. Mm-hmm. That's that's a shot he literally just stripped right out of an anime called Akira. Yeah, so he liked, it doesn't mean anything. He's just like, I have an opportunity to do this cool shot from this mm-hmm. anime that came out in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I can do it now, so let me do it. Yeah. He has that. He has those. Because he's a fan of, you know, films and everything like that. Uh-huh. So I just did uh-huh. them showing, like, oh, I'm a student and a fan of old films and different types of films. Yeah. Like, I, I, I really 100%. Like I, I'm, like, so here with you, Eric. Like, you are just killing it. And I want you to be on whatever next media criticism episode that we do. <laughs> because... <laughs> You are connecting all the dots. May I ask what you do in the industry? I work as an electric. I, I'm someone, I'm working, I want to be a gaffer, which is the person who's in charge of creating the lighting. Uh-huh. So I pretty much, you know, make sure that everything on set has power. I place lights in con- accordance to uh, what the gaffer wants. I dial up the different 
you know, values and intensities and colors and all that type of stuff. Um, that's very cool. If anybody here works in film and knows and have an opportunity for Eric to be a gaffer, obviously there's not a straight line between film analysis and skills as a gaffer, but I want this for Eric because I am being so edified by him and I see so much value in him that I want Thank him to you. be able to shine. Like you are killing it. I really appreciate you calling in today. Thank you very much. I had to, I'm glad I got to do this because I really wanted to talk. <laughs> oh, I'm thrilled. You, you have no idea. I'm thrilled. I'm like, I wish we still had the cropping tool so I could cut this and like put this on the internet because this is as valuable as the critique in the episode itself. So thank you again, Erin. You have a good one. All right. You too. All right. Jason J. K. Pasa, what's on your mind? Oh, hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? I'm doing all right. I got one of my chamomile beers and I'm stepping back from the internet and talking to you fine folks. So I'm feeling pretty chill. Awesome. What's Good on night. your mind this evening? Yeah, no. So, uh, you know, I really like the discussion about the, um, you know, it's interesting because you guys kind of talked about us, Nope and Get Out kind of in the, in, you know, the same breath because it's like in the same oeuvre. And I kind of landed where you were at with it, where it's like when I watch these types of I guess you could say socially conscious horror movies. Like I want to feel entertained and mm -hmm. also like smart because I got the subtext to everything. Mm -hmm. And with Get Out, like I feel like I got 80% of it. With with uh, Us, I got maybe 10 to 20% of it. And with uh, Nope, I feel like I got like about 60% of it. So I do feel like mm. it is kind of like the split the difference kind of a situation with that movie. But I really enjoyed it too. Okay, so I'm sorry. You you thought you got uh, most of Get Out, but yeah. oh, oh, sixty percent of Nope, and how much of Us? Oh, like ten to twenty percent. I still yes. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I still yeah, don't that's, know. That's the thing about Us. Like like Us. Like I, I think I analogize it to that weird feeling you get when you like put your finger in your belly button. <laughs> like yeah. that's how Us made me feel. Like I was feeling things, and I was I, I was very impressed by his ability to like make me feel so dissonant, like truly yeah. genuinely impressed. But when those credits started to roll, all of that unsettledness was just left with me and I didn't right. know where to put it. And that, that caused me to think back more to the plot elements in an effort to make sense of it, which then left me feeling even more unsatisfied because they're honestly like the harder you look at it, the worse it gets. Like where are all those rabbits they're eating coming from? Yeah. Is this yeah. like a literal physical space or right. like a philosophical space? And if it's just kind of like philosoph like a, like philosophical or impressionistic, like why do they have to be eating rabbits at all? Right, like, right, right. Just in somebody's mindscape. Where's the like, logic? There's no, there's there is none. Which is maybe okay if you right. gave me a more satisfying resolution, but it being what it was, like it's like this monkey stuff. Like in 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 Nope. I similarly could go back and pick, like, why are we watching that? Like, why did, was that in the movie? I could yeah. say, well, why the heck did that the white cinematographer guy even look at the alien when we all have already established that the alien won't eat you if we don't look at it? Why was Kiki Palmer really in trouble if she could put right. the helmet on and not look at that monster? Why was the motorcycle paparazzi eaten if he had a helmet on and wasn't looking at the monster anyway? Why did yeah. the monster eat the metal horse if the metal horse didn't really have eyes and wasn't really looking at the monster? Like the, all of the fear and tension like sucks, gets sucked out of the movie the second you realize all you have to do is like look at your feet and you can basically waltz up to the thing and smack it on the ass, right? right. Like I could, I could have all of those criticisms, but when the end credits rolled on this movie, 
all I was thinking about was fuck yeah, Kiki Palmer. <laughs> got that picture who slid into that well, and I love the throwback to the well. I love the value of like of like analog film in the movie, and right. I love these like sign style. I'm sorry, I know people don't like signs, and people don't like M Night Shyamalan. But I love that sign style thing where at the end of the movie, everything had a perfect role and it all lined up and everybody's talents, even though they were like not real talents and they're mediocre in their ordinary life, everything came together perfectly to make something great happen. I love the mediocrity of the Best Buy guy and how he's just some dude, but like his superpower is just believing them and having enough, you know, his life was sufficiently untethered from anything real that he could just like ditch it and come help right. these two randos on their farm <laughs> catch an alien. Yeah. Like, I just there's something like that's a, a fun hygiene caper feel about all of that. And I was like, yeah, I don't need to parse the details. Fuck it. Yeah, let's go. Amass the team. Round them up. We're gonna do right. this. We're gonna like. I was very invested in the project, even though like, yes, getting a picture and getting rich from a picture of an alien is not like the most important thing in the world. Obviously, right. Right. But it was it was a fun it, it felt like the scale and the stakes of this movie were just a lot smaller than his other projects and that allowed me to just enjoy it for what it was and the scope of us was enormous. And so right. it required a bigger payoff. It was racial themes and family and right. love it's like a lot and it was interesting. Right. All the ingredients were there. Like, that was what was kind of upsetting about it, is that yeah. great great acting, like, an interesting plot line, but it just, like, I kind of, I feel like you said it perfectly, like, it didn't land the plane, mm-hmm. and that's what kind of makes it even more, like, I had to watch five different Explain videos, and I still feel like I don't understand <laughs> the movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, wait, okay, someone's saying the monster ate the camera helmet man because of the reflection, like, the horse kicked when it saw the reflection. Oh, okay, all right. Okay. I mean, I mean, okay. I mean, uh, okay, okay. I thought it was like eye contact, but if you're telling me that reflection is kind of like eye contact, I mean, okay, okay. Yeah, I accept yeah. it. And the monster going Super Saiyan was pretty cool too. So I'll just say that. Oh yeah, that was. I thought that the visual effects. We didn't talk enough about this. I think in the episode. Right. I, I, I. You guys have heard me blast blade runner probably on twitter it was like a whole thing in 2020 when i was watching all the tv and i was trying to go through the classics and i watched the original blade runner and i had like a twitter thread of critique and all of the internet people sorry to i feel like i'm being hard on men today but all of the boys of the internet were extremely <laughs> mad at me and were explaining to me that i didn't i just didn't watch blade runner right and if I had watched it harder, I would have liked it better. But my main critique was that it was so fucking dark. I couldn't tell what was going on half the time in the movie. I don't like dark movies. I recognize that's a me thing. It's not an objective value or problem. But I would like to be able to see what's happening on the screen. I have 20-20 vision. And if I can't see what's happening on the screen, I feel like it's not on me. Okay. So my, I, I really loved the idea that we had this kind of monster caper horror movie that was set during the full light of day. Right. And that despite being very simple in its rendering, the creature was beautiful. It really told the line between that classic UFO shape and something more organic. Right. The, the thing where the cloud didn't move, they kind of dropped that thread and didn't come back to it. But yeah. just conceptually, I loved it. Right. 
the ranch, the broadest expanse of American sky, the way they're so close to L.A., but they never do any city shots. They don't indulge in actually showing us the world of Hollywood. They really prioritize the marginal nature of all of the people's lives, this, like, weird, deserted-looking Best Buy. We're, like, the only ones in the store, and we see them at night in the Best Buy when there's no customers there, where they're alone in shady-looking diners, like – I, I loved the atmospherics of it all. It almost felt like it could be set in a different time because right. we saw so little of contemporary bustling city life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I remember when I left the movie too, like I was telling her, I went with a friend and this is her first movie after the pandemic. So she hasn't mm, been to the same. movies in like two years. Mm-hmm. And we were both like on the same page about it. We were like, yeah, we really liked the movie. It was enjoyable. It was a great, you know, night out. But I was like, what the hell was up with the shoe? I don't know. (laughs) I still don't know what the show was about, you know? But that's okay because, like, at least, like, I understood most of it or what was trying to be portrayed, like, you know, about American culture and, you know, the need to get rich and even, Mm -hmm. the you know, the TMZ guy coming through. Like, I felt like Mm -hmm. I got enough of it that I still didn't feel like an idiot (laughs) at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. With us, I just was like, maybe I'm just really dumb and I don't get it. So, I mean, it's nice to know that other people also felt the same way. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know if Jordan Peele... I would love to see... I'm going to Google and see if I can find Jordan Peele giving his explanation of, of mm-hmm. us because I would s- suspect that even he would be like, man, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there, I don't think there's anything to get. I don't think that you get a PhD in film studies and like magically unlock us. I just think it was opaque yeah. and it was just an impressionistic film that was about vibes and it just yeah. didn't land the plane and that is what it is. That is what it is. Oh, I just wanted to like also bring up something that you kind of glossed over in the beginning of the episode, but mm-hmm. I, f- I felt like you talked about like how like you don't feel, I don't know what it was. It was like, it was more like you don't feel like you don't know where your project is going or mm-hmm. you don't know what this thing is about. I was wondering if you could like expand on your feelings about that and if you wanted any feedback. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So... This podcast was started in the fall of 2020, Uh at which point it was still during the general election. Right. And the stakes were obvious, you know. Right. From my perspective, it was all about what can the left extract from Biden to ensure, to to guarantee our votes, you know, to to Uh get, if he really wants to get in in office that badly, if he really wants to beat Trump that badly, what is he willing to get, give to concede to the left? Okay. Biden wins. He doesn't give anybody anything. Next step. It's COVID. Okay. Oh. Is this an opportunity to fight for Medicare for all? I would argue yes. Then force of vote comes out of the blue and it really pops everything off and really is like drawing a contrast that was before that point for me at least not a thing. Like I didn't have that level of skepticism really at all. For members of the squad. Maybe it's like, oh, they're not going to save the world. But I had like zero animosity for squad members before that happened. And so there was this whole project of like helping us to re-understand what was going on with progressives in Congress, what they were willing to do, whether or not electoralism was really a value. And then for the latter part of that year, like all of last year, it was, again, what can leftists get out of Biden's bills, uh, his reconciliation bills, given that they were must-pass bills that were still tethered to all of this COVID relief, and explaining this rotating bill and all of these themes that were being, you know, know, drudged up to the surface. 
Hello. Works. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Throughout this, we have sprinklings of episodes about this, that, and the other Valentine's Day episodes with poets <laughs> and, you know, uh, pop culture episodes and environmental episodes and labor episodes and things that are like related but not. At this point, it's like, here come midterms. Are we going to do the same thing? Are we going to do the same thing where we just keep saying, look how we can't trust the left and we can't trust electoral politics and we have to do um, mutual aid and we have to do grassroots organizing? Because if that's the case, then is my time better spent just actually doing those things and talking about them? Is it still worth it from like a news and reporting value to be able to say, oh, this thing is happening with Matthew Ho and nobody's paying attention to it. Let me have him on the show and at least the left can know about that and support him and you know, draw attention to what the Democratic Party is doing. You know, is, it, is, is there political utility in me getting Andrew Yang and um, Ro Khanna and people on the show to ask them questions that they're not going to get asked by mainstream media? Is that a value? Is it a value to have, like, tutorial episodes where we learn about the history of Marxism and stuff from people like Professor Wolf or David Harvey? You know, do people just want to keep checking? Because there are a lot of great left podcasts that do that, right? Right. You know, the dig and places like that, they will have academics on and talk about theory and, you know. But I don't listen to any of them. Well, yeah, me either. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, if I could just pay you a compliment, I mean, you know, I'm like pretty, I was pretty politically ambiguous, I would say. I didn't really know where I was. But then because you have such a genius for explaining these you know, like interesting concepts and, you know, leftism in such a pragmatic way that really speaks to a a broad swath of people. I just feel like that's kind of where your project is and where it's kind of going, where it's not just about like speaking to leftists, it's also speaking to people like me who are maybe in the middle and don't really know where they are and listen to you and are exposed to Richard Wolf or modern, you know, MMT and, Mm -hmm. you know, all these other things. And, you know, I would never like... It's funny, I would never have just gone into a leftist podcast, but because, you know, because you do sprinkle in these, like, like, what drove me, drew me in, like, to become a Patreon member was the bad art friend, and then <sighs> I stayed for all of everything else, you know, I stayed for everything else, because <laughs> I was so like, oh, interesting. yeah, I was like, she's great, you know, she can talk about pop culture, and she can also bring, like, a pop culture spin to all of these other, you know, interesting concepts about leftism, and, you know, the American left specifically, and the politics of it all. Um, and so I, I just, I guess I just wanted, I just heard that, and I, I, I felt like there was a you know, hesitation on your part there in that moment. So I just wanted to tell you that, you know, your project is successful because it's not just about speaking to other leftists. It's also speaking to people like me who don't know where they are, but they hear you speak and they're like, okay, she, she's on the right path for me with this stuff. I I really appreciate that. I mean, honestly, I try to, I try to do podcasts that I would want to listen to Right. And I do miss, like, obviously, I love Bad Art Friend episode because I love my friend Joe. I'm, like, literally <laughs> sitting here with my Spody sweatshirt on from a podcast <laughs> that we used to have together. Um, yeah. And I've been talking to Katie about this, about whether or not uh, we should do a podcast together <laughs> that and allows us, because we're both feeling kind of overwhelmed with our obligations. And we're both contemplating whether or not to take more on. And we're like, if we take more on, then... I would like maybe like a podcast that doesn't require me to book guests every week and to do all of that administrative work. And if it's just me and you, Katie, then like it's much, a much lower lift. We can just get together and talk about shit, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and you and I know basically what's going on anyway, 
Uh, and it can be newsier and more responsive because it's just us and we don't have to worry about booking a guest. And so, you know, I've been thinking about things like that. Like, are there, are there ways to do it differently and also have more fun the way you can have when you have a co-host and it can be more casual and can I convince my friend Joe to come back and do episodes with me? Stuff like that. But I do yeah. feel, I guess, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, like, am I beating a dead horse? Like, am I... As, as we're like, this was the 200th episode. Like, can you imagine <laughs> yeah, 200? I just yeah. saw another pocket. Well, other, I think it was maybe citations needed, which I love. Okay. I think it's an amazing podcast, but I just saw the citations needed just hit like a hundred or something or 150 or something. I was like, how is that possible? They've been existing for like years before bad faith started. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because we haven't taken a break and we do two episodes a week. And I, like it's just made me it just made me think like yeah. I, I used to feel very strongly like i was i was planning episodes because i wanted to get to the bottom of questions i had like legitimate things i wanted to know about these days it's not always the case that every week i feel that drive to have some unknown answered right sometimes i do and sometimes i'm like oh i get it all and it's bleak and terrible and i don't really want to talk about it yeah <laughs> and that's and so fair I, yeah go ahead that's yeah. fair no, I was just saying that's fair too. Also, like, you know, not the world isn't always on fire as well, mm. even though sometimes it feels that way. So maybe sometimes like leaning into a moment of like just lull might be okay. But just just you can lean into it, but then make sure you come back because there are people like me who really do miss like, you know, because I do feel educated every time more educated after like I listen to a podcast and I just I don't know, it's just an important you, you do an important service for 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 everybody. And I, I think that that, I just hope that you hear that. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. And also yeah. I respect there are people, I know I've gotten some comments. I know there are people who absolutely hate pop culture episodes and hate <laughs> breaks and you can't please everybody all the time. And I don't take no, that too can't. personally. Um, but if, if, it were, if I had my druthers, to be honest, like people think that I, people think that I like ironically want to be on the view. No, to me, <laughs> to me, I love the idea. Not literally with those hosts, obviously, like I feel you know, we're, we're very different politically, but yeah. I love the idea of having that blend of being able to do all the things and talk about all the things. Yeah. Um, Cause I do think that there's everything is the, the Swody intro used to be something like where pop, pop culture, cause, cause politics is the, the political is personal. The, the politics, it was, it was like, it made the point that everything was like related to each other. And Joe and I, we used to do like 20 minutes on a political story and 20 minutes on a pop culture story and like a 10 intro minutes of like catching up with each other. Yeah. And the political story would end up being a pop culture story. Inevitably, it would be about other stuff. And the pop culture story was always political. It was, <laughs> you know, should um, the Danish girl, should Eddie Redmayne be playing a trans woman in the Danish girl? Like it was, right. it was always something. Should Scarlett Johansson be playing an Asian woman? Like it was a lot of, <laughs> yeah. it was a lot of stuff like that, but it was, it was that. fun and it allowed us to just like vibe. You know, I took down all those episodes because of Bernie and I didn't want Bernie to have to defend some random silly thing I said with my friend long before I left the law. Um, but I'm going to talk to Joe about putting those back up on the internet because I, I was actually going to ask about that. I was going to ask about that. Like if you would want to republish them, because you know, after bad, you know, art friend, I was like, Oh, I need to hear more of this, but I tried to look it up on SoundCloud, but didn't, mm -hmm. it didn't come through. 
Um, but yeah, I would I would really appreciate that. And I've taken up so much of your time. I apologize. Oh, not at all. It's me. It's me paddling on. Thank you for calling in, Jason. Absolutely. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Keep the faith. All right, Allende, what's on your mind? And everybody look alive. I'm going to start skipping around a little after Aaliyah. Allende? Allende, you were unmuted, so I should be able to hear you if you're talking. I see you muted and unmuted, but I still can't hear you. What's going on? Allende, if you get back in the back, I will call on you um, again if this is like a technical issue. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Uh, try again. I will definitely come to the back. Uh, Aaliyah, what is on your mind this evening? Hey, Ray, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. What's, what are you thinking about? What's on your mind? Um, so, I mean, I haven't seen the radar yet or anything, but like, they're already so bothered. And I just knew it from, as soon as I saw that title, M- MTG is right, I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> um, like, that's I mean, exactly. I am trolling. Like, I, yeah, I will acknowledge yeah. that I'm obviously trolling. <laughs> but like, I said, someone, someone on the internet was like, you can't, you can't like frame things uh, in this incendiary way and not expect there to be a reaction. I'm like, that's totally fair. I want there to be a reaction, but just because I, I like, I'm trying, am I, I'm like setting the trap and exploiting people's um, kind of ignorance or exploiting the fact that they're not going to read or watch and exploiting the fact that they're going to prejudge me. Doesn't mean I'm still not disappointed that they take the bait. Right. <laughs> right? right. Like, like you expect I'm rooting better. for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, we, we, we expect better from these people that are supposed to be these just highly educated I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with that, but I can't wait to watch it. I'm sure I will agree with everything. Um, but thank you don't you. have to. You don't have to. You just have to not tell me that right. I'm uh, stupid and not qualified right. to get into Harvard because <laughs> you don't like right. my take. <laughs> yeah, that's just so unnecessary. Like, what? yeah, again, so bothered, so mad. Um, but yeah, thank you for the pop culture episode. Like, I love the pop culture episodes. Honestly, I'm all for it. Um, I was I was actually wanting to call in tonight. I didn't know you were going to do this episode, obviously, but I was I forgot to mention on the last call in that I called in how I felt about Nope. I was like, oh, dang it! I, I meant to say what, oh, what I felt about Nope. Perfect. Yes, so I was Synergy. so excited. Right, right. So I was so excited to see the episode. Um, I thought it was great, honestly. The the movie. Um, mm. I really enjoyed it. I was very intrigued and entertained uh, throughout. Um, it, it never felt like dull or boring or mm-hmm. anything to me. Um, I, I definitely see it more of a, like as a sci-fi thriller, I guess, mm. more so than horror. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely get like why horror fans might not have really appreciated it as much um as maybe us or or get out mm-hmm. um but i really enjoyed it there were some like amazing shots i thought the cinematography was stellar um mm-hmm. especially like there was this like the shot of like uh daniel and and ghost i think the the white horse mm-hmm. at night and like mm-hmm. the, the sky oh my god it was just like so amazing i mm-hmm. love that um and then Oh my god, the Gordy's home scenes were very chilling. Um, kind of low-key triggering because I was like thinking of Travis the Chimp the whole time. Like, I don't know if you remember that um 
Travis the Chimp. I think it was like Travis in 2000. It was in 2009. Oh, who ripped the, that woman's face off? Correct. That, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. It, oh, God. That was yeah. just horrible. I actually, I didn't know about that story at the time, um, but I, like, maybe a couple years ago found out about it, and I was like, oh, God. Yeah. So that kind of, you know, that kind of gave me flashbacks to that. So I thought it was really chilling. Um, the main theme seemed pretty clear to me as far as just, like, you know, the exploitation of, you know, it all, of, of like, going to the filmmaker dude, for example, mm-hmm. I thought he was, I thought he was, like, supposed to be this kind of caricature of, like, people who would go to any lengths, you know, to get fame, recognition, money, views, whatever, like, I thought he was, like, supposed to kind of be this exaggerated, like, person who just doesn't, exploitative or not whether I die or not it's mm-hmm. just worth it I guess and mm-hmm. I just found it funny his name is Antlers I was like okay this is <laughs> this is like such just a I don't know just a caricature to me mm-hmm. um but I thought Kiki was great as Emerald and mm-hmm. Daniel as, as OJ was great um and the guy who played Angel, you keep mentioning as the Latino guy. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Angel. Oh, we got through the whole episode and, like, didn't say a single character name. We were such right, trash. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> but, yeah, I thought he was actually really great, like a like a great supporting character. I thought he brought a lot of funny moments in Yeah, Jizma. me too. Yeah. Um, Brandon Perea, I think, is his, his name. I thought he was great, um, and I thought it was a a great homage to, like, the crew on sets as, mm. you know, as opposed to, you know, a lot of movies focus on the stars, mm. the, the actors, the musicians, etc., but I feel like seldom the, they, you know, focus on the crew, so I, mm. I don't know, I, th- I thought that was just kind of interesting and, and fun to see, especially with you know, a, a black cast, um, mm. and just kind of seeing that whole dynamic. I, I definitely agree with a lot of your points just as far as, um, uh, Kiki and Daniel's like relationship. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just kind of enjoyed it. I, it made me, it made me want to go, uh, and finally watch signs and, and Jaws and Close Encounters of the mm-hmm. Third Kind because I've mm-hmm. actually never really seen those movies. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to watch those now <laughs> because apparently they have a lot of a, a – Jordan drew a lot of inspiration from those. So Yeah, uh, I, I need to go back and watch Jaws because I watched it as a kid, but I don't remember it. Close yeah. Encounters, I remember watching as a, a kid and absolutely being mesmerized by it and then mm. watching it as an adult and thinking it was so long and slow oh really yeah. <laughs> i i think it is i think it's it's just you know older movies just have different pacing and mm, there's different yeah. expectations um but the payoff is definitely there and i i love m night Shyamalan. i <laughs> i watched old recently oh yeah i heard that was really bad i haven't seen it though it's excellent <laughs> oh, snap. okay <laughs> okay like you have to go in with low expectations like, i don't want to hype it up too much because okay. i definitely went in with very low expectations because like not all M. Night Shyamalan movies hit like let's just be honest right, right but i think they're always interesting like the village was interesting even if it like petered out a little at the end i really genuinely love signs obviously everybody loves the sixth sense mm-hmm. blah 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 with respect to old, I like the I, I finished watching it with who I was watching it with, 
and we sat with it. And like with every minute that ticked by, we decided it was better than it was. Like the more we talked about it, the more we thought about it, it just kept growing on us. And I think most movies do the opposite. Like when my family went to see Knives Out, which I think is the last movie I saw in a theater before the COVID, uh, we go to see movies on Christmas and we went after the holiday. We got it. My mom always asked, like, what would you rate this movie? And I think we all gave it about a B. And by the time we got home from the uh, the mall in uh, Westchester, <laughs> we this, or New Rock City movie theater or whatever in New Rochelle, which is not that far from where we used to live, um, we had all like downgraded to like a C minus. And we sat there till like two o'clock in the morning talking about all of the holes in the movie and oh, how we thought wow. the characters weren't consistent. And like we talked that movie down probably actually really to like a D plus. Oh, dang. Okay. So I will say old, it really hangs together. I think they do the, – the mystery is way more than just they're on an island and they get old. Mm-hmm. Like, what's what you think from the previews? Like, they age fast. And I would highly recommend it. But I'm prattling. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the point is that I, 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 really, I really liked all of those elements and the referential aspects of it. It didn't feel like it was, like, grabbing other things in a way that was reductive or disrespectful. It felt like – someone who was paying homage and doing something and like building on that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I just, I I definitely want to see all three of Jordan's movies again, just to like really like solidify my, Mm. my, you know, uh, ranking. But I, right now mine is, is still get out number one, then nope, then us. I think that was, was that yours? Yeah. Or was that? Yeah. I think, yeah, and I need to, I haven't seen Get Out in a while, so I need to go back and watch that, but, um, yeah, I definitely felt really confused at the end of us. I was like, wait, so what the fuck does this all mean? Yeah. I was just like, wait, are we going to get a part two? Right. (laughs) And and there was enough there for, like, three, I mean, we can get a part two because there was great world building, but, like, what, what is this? (laughs) Yeah, I still, maybe I need to, like, go back and look at or try and look at Jordan's interviews about us and maybe he'll, he says something to, mm-hmm. to kind of uh, clear some things up. I don't know, but yeah, yeah overall, I, I really enjoy him as a director. I think he's done a pretty good job so far. And um, I, again, loving the pop culture episodes, please, please do more. I love it. Um, oh, yay. Okay, good. Thank so. you. There's a world where, you know, there's two episodes a week. There's a world where there's kind of like a balance between them, like mm-hmm. one each, one each. And there's also a world where I kind of move to a Spody model where I try to split an episode down the middle into two topics. The only issue is that when I have a guest, as opposed to like Katie, who I can chill and talk about anything with, if I have like an expert, I'm not going to make like Gerald Horn talk about Nope with me for three minutes, you know? <laughs> right. Some people are down, but like some people aren't. Yeah, you know? yeah, no. And I would love, I mean, I love Katie, so that would just... I, I would love just to hear you two just, you know, talk some shit, you know. It, I mean, don't I think... steal it, but I want to call it broadly speaking because we're Ooh. broads, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it already. I'm obsessed already. Yes, I love it, honestly. I, yeah, I would love that dynamic. And I think, you know, just we, we all need a break from the the, the, the bleakness of, <laughs> of American politics from yeah. from time to time. I know I do, honestly, because I'm just, I feel like I'm, you know, I, I follow a lot of 
a lot of it on Twitter and all that. I feel like I'm constantly seeing it and, yeah. you know, just having that break is essential. So. And, and I do think there's value in having non-political things discussed by people who share your politics. Because, like, yes. I'll be listening to something and, like, vibing and liking it. And then they'll the, the host, you know, will say something that's so off-putting. <laughs> Because their politics come out. Like, yes. it, they come out. <laughs> no matter what. And that, that's part of why I love the West Wing thing, because it gives me that balance in a podcast. I mean, it's talking about trivial things, but within mm. the episode, they have they talk about current events in the beginning, and then when they get into the episode, their opinions on the episode are what I would think, because I share their politics. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it all, that's why I feel like you're the you're the perfect person, Bree. You're the perfect person well, you're, for these. you're very sweet, Ilya. <laughs> like, you're, you're very kind. Oh, I also, you brought up the sibling thing, too. I was a little surprised that uh, Leslie and T were so negative on their relationship because I really yeah. did think it was one of the strengths. And I do feel like, okay, like Daniel Kaluuya, how did you feel about him surviving? I mean, I definitely thought he was going to die. Like, I, I was about to be like, you know, I was prepping myself for that. But, I mean, sure, I mean, maybe it could have had more of an impact if, he died or if she died but I don't know I mean I I still found myself being satisfied with the way that it ended and yeah it didn't I, bother me when it came it didn't feel cheap when he survived yeah yeah like it felt like yeah they did that like they did what they what they came to do and you know like I mean the thing was I and I I you know take your point that you made on the podcast about like um what did you say um how like maybe they should have made it more ambiguous as to like whether we should kill this thing or not or you know I didn't really think about it like that until you until you said that but um yeah I don't know I I it was you know killing everybody so I, I mean know. yeah at a certain point when it's like eating you know an entire audience of people in right. chair bound child star right, and right. dripping blood all over your dad's house like I get it also like you know it did kill the da- I mean, it accidentally yeah. killed the dad, but it did yeah. kill the dad. Right. Um, I also just want to say, like, I, that scene where the brother was alive and the scene where, like, he sacrifices himself or potentially sacrifices himself for Kiki, that really hit for me. That mm-hmm. really hit for me. Because, you know, I have a brother who's two years older than me, and I don't know how you, if you know about sibling spacing and stuff, but the most contentious spread that you can have between siblings Everybody pay attention if you are doing some family planning. Is an older brother, younger sister where the spread is about two years. Because what ends up happening is because no shade to men, women develop faster as kids and are precocious. Mm -hmm. And the older brother feels like they should be in charge because they're older and because they're a boy. Sorry, it's the Mm -hmm. society we live in. Mm -hmm. I didn't make the rules. (laughs) And so when the daughter catches up, there can be some jealousy that's exact, like even more than the normal level of like rivalry that happens between siblings. And I love my brother to death. We are very different people. I'm a Leo. He's a cancer. You know how it is. <laughs> and, but, but I'll say this about my brother. My brother will bring his skinny ass, his skinny four guy, <laughs> bespectacled behind and try to beat up anybody in the world for me, even though he's like the biggest nerd on the planet. Like he will, when I, when I was in the fourth grade and we were living in Saudi Arabia our next door neighbor was my friend Jennifer Miller, and she was a year older than me. She had this horrible stepbrother whose name I've since forgotten, who was much older. He was like a big kid. He was like in the eighth grade, and we were like in the third and fourth grade. Mm. And Jennifer Miller had a new bike, and 
Jennifer Miller's like, Brianna, come try my new bike. So I was riding her bike up and down the block. And her little dumbass brother came out of the house, pushed me off the bike, and said, you N-word, get off of my sister's oh my bike. God. I think it's the only time in my life I've been, like, explicitly called the N-word. I don't know where my brother was or where he came out of, but next thing I knew, he was arguing above me as I sprawled out on the floor. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, he and I were both slinking in the house, him with a busted lip because his eighth grader punched him in the face for defending my honor. And me with, like, scratches on my knees for having been pushed out on the sidewalk. And my father saw us, and he handled it from there. Trust. Trust. But the point is, I will never forget. When I think about the story, every single time my eyes well up. Because at the end of the day, I know, I know he would do that for me. Even though we do nothing but fight with each other. And he makes me angrier than anybody on the planet. (laughs) At the end of the day, he is there. And that's, I was, I was watching them, too, in that movie. And I was like, 100%. The subtlety of their relationship that thing where you've just been in each other's lives and witnessing everything and having this deep understanding of each other, even though, you know, you don't necessarily articulate it all the time or even connect on that level. I thought that was beautifully rendered despite like almost no words being devoted to it in the context of the movie. There wasn't some horrible belabored flashback scene that we had to watch for 20 minutes. We didn't have to watch the mother die. We didn't have to watch all of it. No, there were pictures on the wall that hinted at the richness of their family life. And made the isolation of the farm poignant without them having to say anything. Right. And I thought that was good filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I don't have a brother, but I still, like, I, I, I felt that, you know, that great uh, sibling chemistry between them. And I thought they did a really good job portraying that. And, um, yeah, I thought it was just really well directed. I don't know. I don't know. But I thought it was better than us. Maybe better than us. Is. That's Maybe what I should call the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thank right. you, Aaliyah. I appreciate you indulging me as I prattle on. Yes, yes, of course. Thanks for taking my call. Have a good weekend. You too. Okay, I'm going to skip around a little bit. I'm going to bring Andy back because I said I would. Andy, I hope you can get your sound working this time. What's on your mind? Uh, Hello? Hey, Andy. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Jeez, that's lucky. Yeah, I don't know what's uh, going on before. I'm glad you're back. Yeah, I really liked Nope. It was the first, um, I don't know, was Candyman written by Jordan, uh, Jordan Peele? I think it was like co-written or something. Oh, yeah, I think he, yeah, I do think he at least directed it. It was fun. Yeah. But yeah, this was the first movie I kind of saw by myself. And I do think it's like more of a thriller than a horror movie. Mm. I could, I don't know, I could like go on and like, I don't know. It's interesting to think about like what stuff is scary and like how I would like make it scarier. But I guess what I wanted to talk about was the phrase like what's a bad miracle. And I think it's an opportunity. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm spacing out. But yeah. No, no, no. Say, same more thing. When, when, remind me in the movie about when, when they say so what's a bad it's miracle. when it's when they're uh, Kiki and uh, I forget their names, but yeah, the brother and sister go back to the house the first time and they're talking about their dad dying and it's a nighttime and they're mm-hmm. talking about how it's kind of a bad miracle that like a key or no, it was a coin that randomly fell out of the sky and like killed mm-hmm. their dad and like what a coincidence that is. And it's also a bad, uh, like a bad miracle that the shoe drops and has like a single uh, drop of blood on it, but it's still mm-hmm. like perfect in that way. And I was mm-hmm. thinking that that could represent a mir- um, a bad miracle could mean a opportunity because 
you know, we live in society and like, you know, even if something bad happens, we're forced by capitalism to make something good out of it. And even though their dad died, they made something good out of it with the picture. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it was interesting to me. Like, genuinely, I was interested in T and Leslie feeling like the 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 chasing of the photo, the the plot Mm -hmm. being really driven around this like photo diminished the value of Keith David's character and Keith David as an actor and like kind of the the whole weight of the movie. Right. I didn't judge the characters for that being their motivation. It seemed mm-hmm. to me a logical, I mean, it's, it's a little, it's a little far out. There are easier ways to make money, <laughs> but it, it <laughs> seemed to me like a logical response to the world they were in. That was very clearly telling them from the beginning of the movie that only one kind of thing is valued. And that's a certain mm-hmm. kind of superficial fame and that you should be able to, you should be willing to do anything to get that, including using a, a, powerful dangerous animal as a prop on a set <laughs> right you know like you you had to like fame fame was the driving motivation this is this is the most la movie to never show you la you know yeah I see. yeah oh i also wanted to say that i think the reason that the monster i think it is a little okay uh i think the monster also kills you if it's hungry obviously so that's why i probably ate the metal horse and stuff yeah, I, I I accept the explanation Sorry. about the the reflection. That that makes sense. It's consistent and it makes sense, and I completely accept it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, Sorry. and I like that they were playing these. Um, what I liked about the movie is there there was this weird intimacy with the monster that they developed over the scenes that you don't normally get in a horror movie, and that felt very Spielbergian too. To me, I know like, what you mean. Yeah, is this mo- is this thing really a bad guy or is it just like an animal? Like in Super Eight, it's like just a thing that's trying to stay alive and it causes destruction and death, but it's not like out to get you the way the creature from stranger things is like an evil pernicious thing. That's out to get you. It's just an mm-hmm. animal. It's like a, it's a lion bad when it eats someone, you know, is right. Bombay bad when it ki- like it just sometimes bad things happen. And yeah. the, the intimacy was, was created by it. Like it was, they were learning about the creature. They were setting traps for the creature. they, you know, they had this proximity to the creature. They played music and the creature came. They 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 understood its psychology. And the movie was more interesting to me because you you there were rules. It established rules and they established a relationship right. and it wasn't just this like, you know, Rambo style, let's machine gun this thing into the into oblivion. And again, that goes back to this theme of respecting nature and understanding yeah. it's not something that you can be tamed and you know, Daniel Kaluuya's character having more of an entitlement to like be the one who brings it down because he has this respect for wild things. Taming, I would argue, isn't about putting a noose on something's neck and locking it in the cage. It's right. about creating a relationship with a thing so that like you have a, a mutual respect. That's what I enjoyed about the movie. Yeah, I just felt like it was very thoughtful in what it, you know, because sometimes you can learn more about what a sh- movie doesn't say or just shows you, and I felt like it showed a lot with the characters and the set pieces. Yeah, for sure. I see someone in the, okay. in the comments saying, like, is this even a horror movie? Like, why should we be trying to fit into the horror box? I think that's an interesting question. Yeah. I think it is a thriller and, like, I was excited, like, while I was watching, like, the fi- like while they're just trying to take the shot, you know, and, like, they're riding the motorcycle. Like, I was more excited than scares so i do call it like a thriller but like Mm. for horror you know i'm thinking about like 
because I have like thir- certain things that like I would find I did you know it was very scary like hearing the people scream they could have had more of that you know that would have made mm-hmm. it more s- scary but mm-hmm. it was definitely thrilling there's this distinction mm-hmm. there for me yeah it wasn't yeah. I, I should have asked Leslie like what how he would define the genre because for me I mean there wasn't a lot of gore that's what I would associate with horror it wasn't really mm-hmm. about jump share jump scares or like evil it wasn't about evil the thing again it wasn't evil it was just an animal and just mm-hmm. like i don't think is, is anaconda a horror movie you know jaws is a horror movie i guess but they give jaws like sentience like they make him like right. a hunter and i don't mm-hmm. know i mean they, they say in the movie that the, th- the reason the thing is like haunting this valley is because uh, Stephen Young's character has basically started feeding it. So I don't even know that it would even be here and really terrorizing the specific group of people, but for, you know, Stephen Young's character tempting fate in that way and not respecting these boundaries in that way. Mm. So it's, Before it's I go, like it's, yeah. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to recommend stuff because like, I don't want to hold up the line, but I wanted to recommend two shows. Uh, one is a comedy musical based off of like, it's about a, a lawyer from New York who moves to California to find love. It's called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. You might like that. And um, first of all, imagine you thinking that I haven't already watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Well, no. no. <laughs> I didn't know you. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Fair first enough. First of all, back in like 2014 or wherever, whenever that show dropped, I was yeah. binging the shit out of that. First of all, I would like to shout that show out also for being one of the first mainstream shows to have an Asian man as the sexually Love desirable interest. lead. Right. Yes. Right. Nowadays, these kids are on the ball. There's that little hottie on Riverdale and a bunch of people all over the place. But that was transformative back in like oh, that was a good show. Sixteen or whenever I rewatched that was. it. Re- like, yeah. An old girl is so talented, and you know, I'm secretly a musical theater kid, so I loved every part secretly. of it. Yeah. Okay. And the other show was called. Okay, hopefully you haven't seen this one or, like, read the book space off of, but The Expanse. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. People have been trying to make me watch The Expanse. The guy I was dating last summer, I sat through, I think, at least a season of this show. Okay. And everyone keeps keeps telling me, my brother kept telling me, my mom kept telling me, like, it'll get better, it'll get better. And because my mom was on board, I believed it. But then even my mom defected and was like, no, this is boring now. Here's my issue with The Expanse. Okay. I like sci-fi. I'm not discounting it because it's sci-fi. However, it is very dark. I mean, visually dark yeah. and blue and on a metal clanky clanky ship. I like utopias, not dystopias. Okay. It is... The main character guy, who I believe they ended up killing off, but I haven't gotten there yet, that big-jawed fella with the fedora yeah. on, nah. There was, like, two main characters, kind of, like... And they both... Yeah. Okay, so it was the big-jawed fella with the fedora, and then mm-hmm. there was that, that like, little curly-haired brunette, more swarthy fella yeah. who thinks he's really cute. Like, you can tell he thinks he's really cute. I'm not yeah. opining on whether or not he is cute. I'm just saying you can tell he <laughs> thinks he's cute, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like either. And then the whole first season, they're consumed with finding that random Hoppa girl, right? Mm-hmm. The the billionaire's daughter. I'm sorry, I'm just yeah. describing everybody based on their race, but I don't remember their names. Okay, and then they finally find her, and spoiler alert, sorry, like is not material to the plot. Her ass is dead anyway, which made me feel like I was wasting my time. 
There's this thing with the fungus that, as far as I've watched, they've never really followed up on. That's, like, interesting to me, and they never follow up on. It's just a bunch of shooting guns and confusion in the darkness of space. All right. Yeah, I'm not going to link. I I was really open to it. I like the idea of, you know, that UN president-type woman and her machinations and Mm. the world that's on Earth and, like, why are some people genetically modified in the home that the guy who thinks he's cutest from with all of his like nine parents living together in this like commune cabin in the woods. There were interesting elements there that I would have liked for them to spend more time with. But out of the like 20 hours of this show that I have committed to, it's a lot of blue light and a bunch of men that are a little on the older side being weirdly obsessed with this like pretty young hopper girl in her early twenties who ends up dead anyway. And I just was trying to desperately to figure out why I should care about any of it. T- tell well, me why you like it. Tell that. me why you like it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Tell me I why can you do like that. It. I can do that. Okay. I like the world building. I like that there are multiple characters. Yeah, I like the world building and sort of just figuring out what the, like, you know, the expanse of this world and how it works. And I find that interesting. So while I'm like, learning to be invested in these characters. I'm learning also about the world. So it's enjoyable for me to like, just kind of discover a mystery about like, okay, why do so many people want this, like the Hoppa girl and why do so many people? And then. Do they follow what, up on that though? Because sort... um, so... I felt like they dropped her after they discovered her. No. Okay. I stopped watching because I wanted to read the books and I haven't like started reading the books. But what I remember is. Like, I, I believe it's that, okay, so the fungus is an alien, the first alien. I th- You know, I think they do follow up on it. I think they're just, like, saving it for later. I think okay, they are look, following up on it. Andy, I am open, and between you and my brother, I am open to trying a few more episodes over the course of this summer. Of course, of course, as I'm is your right. Because I, I, I respect your opinion. I respect my brother's opinion. And he is insistent. My brother and I, like, he knows what I like, and I trust his taste, and I get it. I, mm. I will try again, because sometimes it takes time. Well, I would appreciate that. But, yeah, I hope you enjoy it if you do get back into it. All right. Thank you, Andy. All right. Of course. Right. Keep the faith. <laughs> Keep the faith. Bye. All right, let me hop, hop, hop around. What's going on here? Let's, let's, who's gonna, okay, how about, Jan, you're up. What's on your mind, Jan? What's good, Bree? Can you hear me? I can, loud and clear. Oh, first off, I definitely gotta say you my nigga, Bree. I love, like, all (laughs) your, like, takes, like, on this movie and everything. Like, uh, I'm excited that you have picked me, too. Like, this, to me, Nope is the movie that Jordan Peele needed to make for me. Mm. Like, I feel like, because I'm a, I'm a huge film like watcher, and I wrote, like, some film, like, reviews and critiques and stuff. Like, I, to me, I think he got too, like, I think, like, the media and everything, he hyped him up too much after, you know, after um, Get Out. And then, like, I, I feel like Us, us was, I, I didn't like it. I'm just going to put it like that. I, I didn't like mm. it. I think that was, like, kind of like a letdown. I feel like he got, he tried to get too, too philosophical and stuff within, within us. And that kind of like dropped the ball. Like it should have just been shadow people and shit, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. it could have just, like the movie could have just been about that. But this mm-hmm. one is 
I don't think he makes a lot of actual like horror movies. I agree with like the sentiment other people brought. Like he does more like thrillers and suspense. Mm-hmm. And that this one is definitely like an old to like a, old school like monster movies. Like this is much more akin to like Jurassic Park and Tremors mm-hmm. than any other, you know, like slasher or like horror thing. And that it calmed down a lot on like his social commentary and everything is, is, is if, if, if like, you know, the stuff that's in it is a lot more subtle. Mm-hmm. And like it was just enjoyable, you know. It's just a, a good, good ride. Like this is one of like the only ones that I can rewatch, like of his, you know. Yeah. That I won't find like a chore, you know, to rewatch. Some shit yeah, definitely could have been cut out, but you no, know, it's, it's good. The, the, someone just said like I have to rewatch uh, Get Out, and I was like, yeah, me too. But then I had this sense of trepidation because as much as I loved Get Out, I don't know that don't I want to go through that again. Exactly, you don't want to. Like, nope, supposed to be I, would, I could easily watch rewatch Nope. Exactly. He didn't like traumatize me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because like I said, it's much more like Tremors or like Jurassic yeah. Park. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's not like this one is. It is definitely a lot of people like um comparing it to like the Spielberg, you know, films like almost like it's like a knock on them. Like, no, like people like Steven Spielberg's movies, like for a reason, like they're fucking enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's what, like, that's what this, this is. And in all of his movies, like his cinematography, his cinematography is just like fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Like just seeing some of us, like the beautiful shots, how he captures like dark skin, like in this film is just, ah, oh, it's just, it's great. And mm-hmm. um the subtle, like his, all I can't give like a big knock to all the actors in his films. Like, mm-hmm. even though I didn't like us, Lupita Nyong'o was, like, acting her ass off in that mm-hmm. movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Same thing with the dude that um that plays Mbako. I can't remember his name. Uh, but, like, he was her the dude that was her husband in that film. And uh-huh. in this one, like, Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, like, pretty much everybody, the entire cast was really, like, just knocking it out the park. Like, like in the acting, like, departments. Oh, my God. I love it so much. Always love Daniel's understated way of playing every role. I didn't. Mm. I honestly thought he was kind of the weakest link of Get Out, to be honest. Mm. But I did oh, think yeah. it worked well in this movie. Is, uh, I know I, I can agree. Most of this film, because he gets he gets pl- cast in yeah, like a lot more of like the shy or you know calm down, not, not really like trim like like messing up anything type like character. Not really trying to like rock the boat. But um, I think a, a movie that where you get to see him be a little bit more amped up was um, Widows. You know, like when he, I, I loved him, even though his his role is isn't like so so big or anything, and he's not. And he's not, um, he doesn't get that much screen time. When you do see him, I love seeing him have more energy. You know, and oh, I think that's, that's the movie. If you want to see it. Yeah. That's the one with, um, Viola Davis. Viola Davis um, in it. yeah, the, she's a main Liam character. Mason, Colin Farrell. What is this movie? I've never yeah, heard it's, of it. It's a crime movie. It's a crime movie about like, these these women. You know, like uh, I don't want to spoil the plot for you, but like uh, spoil you know what's going on. But it's it's a crime movie with three with three main women are like the main uh, characters that doing like doing a, a, a heist. You know, that's okay. that's that, I think that's good enough like to get you get you to watch. Girls it. Doing crimes, I'm in. I gotta go get somebody's Hulu password, and I'm all over it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to me, like it's all right, but I like I I loved like his his like his portrayal like of the character in it. You know, and that's what I liked about this. And, but like in in, in the nope, I feel like you know they could have they could have like cut like all like the monkey shit. <laughs> like it didn't really play <laughs> play too much. You, didn't you know, in the movie, kind of like, just interesting. You, you didn't. You, 
You just you would rather sure like if it was if it played more of a role in the overall story, like I'm with it. But you know, at the end of the day, like you can take it out the movie and it won't change like the movie at all. You know, fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) And I I like I like um what's his name Stephen um the the dude that was like the cowboy guy Mm -hmm. yeah you know and plus from Detroit shout out (laughs) like I love (laughs) yeah like I I love him and like and everything he's in but you know I mean he could have been cut. Okay, I I hear you on that, and I'm not saying that you're wrong. And mm. there's definitely a world where we could have felt like that plot line was dangling a little bit less. Like I believe mm. in Jordan Peele's ability to figure out a way to connect that a little bit better. However, mm. I don't know. I maybe it's, it is overly indulgent, but I just enjoyed. I enjoy. Like, when I think about the movie and the bits that kind of haunt me and keep coming back to me, they are related to that character. Like, the scene in his office, there's something yeah. just so tragic about him. There's something so sad yeah, like, about it. I'm and not saying, like... A lot of the themes about the Hollywood stuff. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm listening. No, no, I'm, I was just going to... It's just saying it hit home a lot of those Hollywood themes and made them sharper for me because we mm. experienced you know, that timeline, that reality, in addition to all of the themes in the main plot about the paparazzi and stuff. Yeah, like, on its, like, those, like, every, all the monkey shit, like, on its own, <laughs> it's good. Like, it's, like, it is, like, it's, it's compelling, I like, and it's really chilling when you get to, when you're showing it from his perspective, when the, the thing is actually happening, I like how it was doing, like, callbacks, like, it kept, it was constantly doing, like, callbacks, you know, like, to, like, to the incident, and then we actually got to see it, like, go down and everything, all that shit was great, but, like I said, if it's removed from the film, the movie doesn't change, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, so, like, so like it can be, it could be completely cut and like said everything is pretty like pretty much the same. But if if it played more into more into like the story or anything, or if it was trying to make a connection, or even if it was trying to make like a connection, saying like oh how Stephen Young's character had like um already had like a connection with a type of uh, animal that killed like a bunch of people, and that's kind of what draws them to the alien. If they tried to, if there was a played up a little bit more, if that was, you know, like the thing, I would enjoy, I felt like, all right, got some more of a point. But, you know, uh, it, it wasn't, it was so inconsequential, you know, like to the movie. Like, oh yeah, like cut it, like cut it out, save, you know, save some time. People don't really make that, you know, like 90 minute movies no more anyway. So like, oh yeah, like cut it, like cut it down some. Yeah, but if I, you want to like I focus more on it, that'd been good. Oh no, <laughs> guys! I just saw that Marjorie Taylor Green retweeted my tweet. I'm fucked. <laughs> so <laughs> fucked. <laughs> no. <laughs> Who tagged her? Which one of you sons of bitches tagged her? You guys, you you know what? Now I'm gonna get dragged for film. Now she's gonna be one of my associates. You're gonna oh, come my, for me? Uh, you already know what's oh, happening. Oh, Lord. <laughs> what is your, I'm, you know what? I'm about to go through and see which one of you MFers added her because I very purposefully was not trying to attract her dumbass attention. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're gonna get you're gonna get a bunch of criticism for that, but I think the fair criticism that people should give you is that you haven't seen higher learning. I think that's I think that's a much better I think that's a much better uh, criticism like to get to you. 
And like the quote, one of the quote, one of our favorite movies is about to rain in your head <laughs> because these conservatives are about to come on you. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm a, I, my ass is gonna have to log the f off after this. I'm so glad I'm on with you guys and not paying. This happened three hours ago. I'm just noticing. Oh Lord, who, who I'm gonna figure out? I'm gonna I'm gonna time sort these tweets and I'm gonna figure out which of you first tagged her ass in. <laughs> And oh I am God. going to have some sharp words for you in the DMs. <laughs> Yo, oh, I'm so mad. Okay. All right. Thank you, Jam. I appreciate you calling in. You're always a delight. I love you. Have a good night. All right. You too. Keep the faith. Okay. Let me go. Let me go. Let me get some gender parody. Tia. I don't think I've seen this avatar before. What's on your mind? Oh, can you hear me? I can. Sweet. Thank you so much for picking me. Uh, this is my first time in the queue. I thought so. Welcome. Yeah. Um, I did come to talk about Nope. Cool. I kind of similar views to Jam in that I could have done without the monkey parts, but that's only because I'm a scaredy cat and that, <laughs> <laughs> that part's really scary. Um, but I, I did really enjoy how the characters in the movie, at least to me as someone who's a little bit younger felt like someone I could meet mm-hmm. in real life like Angel I could see someone like him working at Best Buy um mm-hmm. I feel like like Kiki passes for a real stem like a, a stud femme and mm-hmm. like a term in the mm-hmm, queer mm-hmm. and uh I guess I don't really know anybody who worked for a ranch so maybe not OJ but <laughs> I I like those characters um and I also like that they this the nuances that you talked about with the sibling relationship, I've, mm-hmm. I felt like I picked up on that too, but maybe that's just because I have a sibling mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you make of um, the ranking with the other Jordan Peele films? I would agree with you in, in terms of like us ranking below, but, I would say full disclosure because I haven't seen it and because I'm a scaredy cat. <laughs> like, it's just like, I'm just not like a horror person. So for me, it's it's get out and nope. And if I ever saw us, it would probably be us at the bottom. And also just based on what you were talking about, how it doesn't land. I think you talked about that in the episode um, that there's just like so much good stuff, but then yeah. it doesn't have any sort of resolution. That Yeah, yeah. It, it is interesting that, you know, the part of Nope that people didn't like, and I completely understand, is also the bit that didn't land, the part that the bit that didn't like tie into the rest mm. in a way that was comforting. Because the movie, unlike a lot of Jordan Peele's, I mean, it, well, unlike us, we're only talking about three films. Unlike us, it, it, it felt remarkably cohesive compared to us. It feels like mm-hmm. beginning, middle, and end, classic format, classic, you know, thriller, romp, like extremely traditional in some respects. But the thing that makes Jordan Peele's films, I think, feel different is that there is this sense of ambiguity in all of them. In all three of those, there's like this creepiness that comes from something just being a little bit off but not super explicit. You know, mm-hmm. and, and Get Out, it's like, okay, it's a couple. That's normal. They're going on a trip to meet her parents. That's normal. But there are all these little things that keep happening. The cops pulling them over the, you know, her weird reaction to hitting the deer into the cops, Hmm. you know, the, you know, the weird part of like, it's everything is just dissonant. It's not 
fully discordant. It's just a little dissonant in a way that makes you doubt yourself and, and question everything and think about everything three times over. And the mystery is, it's like so subtly built. And I do feel like that quality existed in Nope largely because of the monkey scene. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like the fact that it didn't really fit with the rest of the movie created that, like, you're, that feeling of waiting for the other shoe to drop that has that, that, that disquieting quality that I think makes his movies actually, I think that's like the most horrible, the most horror like part of the movie. That That's the part that feels like mm -hmm. horror that, like, not in your chest waiting to resolve and in us it just didn't come close enough to resolving to really feel like it was earned it almost felt like you were keeping me in that suspended state of anxiety for no reason and that's why i think people were kind of angry after the movie and in yeah. and nope for me it like resolved very satisfyingly with the photo and the well and all of that stuff but you still get that sense of disquiet because you know the the damage was done. The monkey, the, the broader commentary about what's wrong with the world still persists. Even Yun never learned a lesson, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, and, and I, I do think you could cut that stuff out of the movie and it would be the same and work plot wise and everything. But I think I might miss that sense of like quiet horror. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the world is that bleak and people are that, sad and desperate and isolated and corrupted by you know these weird desires uh for fame mm -hmm. and they would be you know like that that all i think all of those themes really really were driven home through those the monkey sequences and i do think i'd miss them even if i i agree that he could have landed that part of the movie better yeah i i do agree that if i were someone who liked horror i would want to keep that in the movie that mm -hmm. it it creates that sense, at least for me, that's really horrifying. The idea that something like a situation that is perfectly normal can immediately go left and something really, really horrible can happen. Um, and that, and also like the kind of disquieting of like the mystery of like, why are you showing us a monkey? Mm -hmm. Why did these coins fall out of the sky and kill your dad in like mm -hmm. a freak accident? It mm -hmm. seems like, and connecting those dots, I think for me, I like it because it's a mystery, but then also mm -hmm. adding the the element of like these are horrible things that are happening and trying mm -hmm. to understand why they why they happen to people seemingly randomly. Yeah, I I love the mystery. I think that opening sequence was terrific. I mm -hmm. love the keys and stuff falling out of the sky. I you know no part of my brain was like oh totally it's going to be an alien behind a cloud. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was like okay there's an airplane maybe an alien's messing with an airplane you know. <laughs> But I just I I do I do love that there's nothing predictable about his films, even when they follow a fairly traditional plot like this. You know, when I saw yeah. the well, I did not think, oh, they're going to use that well to take a picture of it. I did not, and mm -hmm. it was incredibly satisfying to me when everything came back full circle and like connected. Yeah, and I I did understand what your guests were saying when they said like, why is it okay that like M and OJ are trying to get these picture and 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 fight or chase that clout essentially mm -hmm. and that it's not okay for the paparazzi guy and i i think that like that didn't really tie up well but from from like someone who was rooting for m i like that she was the one who got the picture and not the the more traditional camera person who you would mm -hmm. expect like oh he's trying to get sucked up into the monster so that he can get the shot and then the camera's gonna fall out and you'll see it because it's not electronic but that didn't happen he just died <laughs> and then m and then m got the shot yeah, I like that she got the shot, although I will say 
I was irritated by the way they killed off the camera guy. Because they <laughs> they knew the rules of how to survive, and they just randomly had the guy go all Captain Ahab. And I know mm. that's a thing. Obviously, I'm referring to it as Captain a- Ahab because it is a common motif, and it's completely fair for them to want to do that. But, like, this is a man who is an expert at getting the shot. You don't mm. get the shot. Like, and, and, and the movie had him get the shot. Like, was I missing something? Or They were in the tent. They set the trap. They got the shot. And then he was like, actually, no, let me get up and take the shot with the film and the camera and go waltzing out into the middle of this field. <laughs> for for why? I, like, tell me if I missed something. No, I don't think you missed it. Maybe to me, it seemed like they were trying to tie it to something he said before about like, you don't actually want to get that perfect shot that that you don't want to get to the pinnacle or something. And that him dying was like, he was already at the pinnacle and so he didn't have anything to live for except for this one experience or they were maybe they're just making fun of the auteur director stereotype it's it's completely legitimate but remember how it went down in the movie they were like down and out they're really despondent their plan wasn't working and then the thing that rejuvenated the whole thing was getting kiki getting the return call from the from that guy Mm -hmm. and you know, that meant a lot because it was someone who was official and formal, who believed in their project, someone who was an expert, someone who had the final key to make this whole thing work. And he he had a certain gravitas. There was this dinner scene where he had this great line read. It was like his only like main line read. We saw him getting this. He was like a serious filmmaker cutting these kind of boring looking black and white animal <laughs> films. Like he was eccentric, but he struck me as like someone who understood how to be in a dangerous situation and get the shot. Not someone who was like going to just risk it all for reasons. Yeah. Like, for, like yeah. if they could have written it like, uh, you know, the wind blew the reel of film down the hill and he went chasing after it and the monster got it. like something happened where he was forced into a position of uh, like not safety. Mm-hmm. The tent blew over you know, something happened that, that, you know, you know, the sun was in the shot. He didn't actually get the shot. So we had to try it again, something. But as far as I can tell, he literally got the shot. And this was like, actually, LOL, 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 never mind. Let me just run into the mouth of the beast. <laughs> into the abyss. <laughs> right. Which is also another good horror movie. If you haven't seen like the nineties classic, or maybe it's even the late oh. 90s, the abyss terrified the shit out of me. I'm very afraid of water. I'm a good swimmer, but I think we should have a healthy respect for the ocean because the movie is like the abyss. Oh, anyway, I do. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for yeah. calling in, T. I'm sorry. Did I cut you off? You have something else? No, I, I just wanted to say that the point about what Jason and others were making about your show, I think I think I agree with them. And if you need to take a break and like reevaluate, like I'm cool with that. Maybe you could take a poll of your audience and see what they think. <laughs> Just vote. LOL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Tia. I really appreciate right. it. Thank you. All right. Keep the faith. Gabrielle, you've been very patient here at the front of the line. What's on your mind? Hey there. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm I, I'm fine. I um I I haven't seen Nope yet, so I, I don't have anything to contribute to the um, pop culture side of things, but I, uh, I called in uh, a couple weeks ago when you had talked about the uh, trans issues with um, Kim Iverson mm-hmm. and um, I, I've forgotten the uh, 
Esperanza. Trans woman's name. Esperanza, yes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I just wanted to say, um, Kim very much disappointed me recently with some of her recent posts about the trans issues. And so it's not that I necessarily want to cancel her by any means. Uh, but what she been uh, saying, I, I confess that I saw uh, her, I watched her video about leaving rising, but I, I confess I haven't um, followed up. So this is, this is, this was posted yesterday and some change um, ago, but uh, um, the, the opening sentence, and this is in response to a, um, a women in sports uh, tweet from uh, the UK. But her her opening line is, trans women are men, which if you are this far into the uh, discussion and this is still the way you're um, constructing your sentences, I'm sorry, you just aren't trying. Yeah, that is is frustrating. Um, uh, And so I I know this is off topic very much for for tonight's discussion, and I do very much want to hear um how you are anti-black for um <laughs> um uh, for uh being against the FBI but um <laughs> no um no uh it, it the, the the full tweet I'll just read it is 20 hours ago by my current uh clock trans women are men who unfortunately suffer from gender dysphoria i mean that's just categorically not true because Yes, some trans people suffer from gender dysphoria, but not all trans people uh, have that diagnosis. It's such an odd, I don't know, it's such an odd obsession. It's such an odd, like, you know, here's the thing. Kim, Kim is not stupid. And Kim, you know, has been exposed to a lot. And, you know, you saw... I, I thought that the you know the exchange with Esperanza was you know productive. It was frustrating, and we talked about all the ways it was it was frustrating. But in that context, Kim didn't say any of those kinds of things. And, right, and and yeah, I, I that's, wish that's what makes this so hard. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I like when she left the hill. Uh, well, so first of all, I thought it was a little bit of a drama queen move, but at the same time, you know, I'm fighting for my values. Okay, I can't fault you for doing that, even though I think you're being a yeah, little I bit honestly, of a like, I love the producers, right? and I've been trying to, like, not say a ton just because, you know, people make mistakes, and it's difficult to weigh in on something that I wasn't personally privy to. But I do appreciate 100% why she was upset about being excluded from the Fauci interview. I do think that that was right. poorly handled. And I think even the producers would admit that they could have handled it differently. Right. But I mean, then, you know, you, you've, you've had this backlash and then you're going to go out and make this basic mistake, this basic, like it, at this stage of the game, we're still making these kinds of, um, you know, and, and these are like simple grammatical mistakes that you should be proofreading your tweets when you have a blue check mark. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I don't have a blue check mark. And I proofread my tweets, so I assume that people with blue check marks do. I do think, you know, when I think about it, I do think there were these moments in our episode where she did seem to be genuinely a little unknowledgeable about some things, like the turf definition. 
Which I completely understand the criticism that says, well, if you are at that level of kind of like not knowing about terminology and stuff, then you really shouldn't be having the conversation. Completely get that. Like, don't disagree. But there is, I don't know. I wonder if there is an opportunity to get her to kind of understand why that's not a great way to go about having these conversations or whether it's kind of, you know, a leaning into a certain culture that exists on the internet. I, I don't, I honestly don't know which I, I, I hope that it's the former. I hope that it's just a kind of lack of knowledge and that she can continue to have conversations with trans folks who are willing, God bless them to continue to engage. Cause I'd rather pull her back from that direction if possible. than have her have use all of her extreme influence to kind of double down in that direction. And you know, she's yeah. demonstrated a real willingness to talk to people and engage, which I think the left should, you know, ex- exploit, take advantage of as, as much as possible. I'm going to say I 100% agree with you, and I'm I, I'm by no means trying to cancel Kim. It's just she really let me down with that post today. That having been said, since you brought up the um, let's reach out to people we disagree with, I feel like that's a good point to transition to the fact that you're, um, uh, you're criticism of the FBI somehow makes you anti-black mm-hmm. according to certain Twitter users. Um, and I don't necessarily have anything to say. I just wanted to invite you to um, unleash uh, your opinions uh, <laughs> without needing to justify it. Um, like I, 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 there were a couple of times today uh, I saw your tweets uh, and it was like, I wish I could say the same about you. And I was like, oh, that that's a spicy brie. Um, <laughs> and and so I just uh, wanted to, to have this space for you to kind of uh, express that frustration. I mean, you know, look, we all know the world we live in. And my credibility is dependent on me taking a high road, whether or not it's warranted or earned or deserved. And it is difficult because, you know, people say some pretty ridiculous and um, demeaning things about me on a semi-regular basis. And they get to get their tweets in and their dunks in. And I can't for two reasons. One, because I would like to have credibility on the left. I would like to model better behavior. I, you know, even people that I disagree with, I think are doing good work and I don't want, you know, to hurt them. I just want them to leave me the fuck alone. (laughs) Um, and the second reason, you know, is that, you know, so there's, there's that I, I want to maintain my credibility, but also like, you know, I know that I'm oftentimes the relatively bigger fish and I don't want to punch down and it, you know, like, it is what it is. I also don't want to come off as petty or small or elitist. And it's hard because when someone who I think is like a dumbass is calling me stupid, obviously my instinct is to be like, actually, you are just so dumb. You're so dumb. I tweeted something about Owen earlier that was up for like five minutes and I deleted it because I felt bad about it because it, it was like the personal kind of personal thing that while entirely true is <laughs> not the point. Like, I'm upset with him because I disagree with him, not because I have broader feelings about his character or his skill level or things like that. 
but it's difficult because there's an asymmetry there in my ability to like engage and, and fight back. And it is also very irritating that I know that even though I think in many instances, there is a gendered and racial valence to things. I absolutely cannot say that without being accused of weaponizing my identity to win an argument. And it is very tempting sometimes to unfairly weaponize my identity to win an argument. So it's like just never worth it. But it is also true that, you know, I, I know people have their feelings about Crystal Ball. I really like Crystal Ball. We don't always agree, but I really like her. I think that she is so professional and I am really admire what she's been able to do in this space because it's hard and she's accomplished a great deal. Um, and she's, she's smart and thoughtful and professional. She, you know, did an identical, it's so funny. We did the exact same radar today by accident. Very much. Yes. Like hers was Candace Owens is right. Mine was T uh, MTG is right. And nobody told her that nope. she needed to post her college transcripts or any shit like that. Cause they disagreed with her take. Now, some of that is because you know, rising put, puts clips on Twitter. And so mine had more exposure on Twitter than hers did. And maybe people would have been equally mad if, if she had clips floating around on Twitter. Fair enough. Totally. Like maybe it's not about race and maybe it's not about anything else. That's completely fair. But well, I, I mean, it's also because she doesn't challenge Sagar on every minute point. Therefore she's a fascist. So, I mean, yeah. And look, I will say this. It is a very difficult line and I'm not saying we all make the decisions right every time. Like, you know, if I were to push back at every single thing that came out of Robbie's mouth that I agreed with, we'd never get through a segment. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and vice versa. Oh, 100%. Actually, it's the same way about yeah. me. And it's like, okay, if I want to be on the show, if I think there's utility for me to be on the show for even, even if it's only for a short period of time, you know, I agreed to be here. There's certain rules. I can't just sit here and cross my arms and say, I'm not going to play ball. I, yeah, there's, there's a deal that's been struck here. I, I got to like make the show work. I can't get on the show and then sabotage the show. Um, and, you know, we talked about this with the Glenn Greenwald uh, episode with Nathan Robinson about whether or not Glenn pushes back enough. And I think Nathan brought up some legitimate criticisms about what you have to do, what you have to make clear about yourself and your position and what you have to say to make sure you don't look like you're just agreeing with the bad actor. I feel like in my Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, clip in my Tucker Carlson clip, I was very clear about the fact that I don't think Marjorie Taylor Greene is acting in good faith. I don't think that she will maintain this beyond Trump being the one that's being persecuted. I, you know, but that doesn't 100%. mean I, I was addressing an audience, not Marjorie Taylor Greene. I was addressing an audience of people who like what Marjorie Taylor Greene was saying and, and trying to make the case to them that even if Marjorie Taylor Greene is likely acting in bad faith, that they don't have to and that they should push this issue because it actually is an important issue and that they have allies on the left in this who are going to be a lot more consistent than Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I don't always think that everyone necessarily distinguishes themselves from the bad actor that they agree with the best they could. And there are legitimate criticisms about that. And maybe I sometimes don't do that as well. In this case, I think I could not have been more clear that I am not a fan of Marjorie Taylor Greene and that I don't actually believe her. You, you, you mean that moment where in the, I think it was in the second sense you, you said she's acting in bad faith. You, like you admitted, <laughs> like, I don't believe her. Um, no, I, you're 100% right. And, and I'm sorry, cause I'm just looking at this like six hours ago where like someone 
screenshotted your tweet and like the first line and not even the full first line. Right, they Marjorie, cropped it down. Taylor Green is right. And was like, you are the definition of bad faith, yep. motherfucker. Like how, how much more bad faith could you be? Yep. Um, but I gotta say, I, I really, okay. I will say this here. I will not say on Twitter because I know there's no receptivity for it and I can't prove it. Like you can never prove like the kind of bias, et cetera. But there is not a single blue check woman that has been mad at me over this tweet. And I have had tangles with blue check left women in the past. Natalie Shore, a bunch of women like that were very openly disagreeing with me. Emma Vigeland and Obiki Khans, they were very openly in conflict with me over force the vote. Okay, that was not a gendered dispute in any way. Today, okay. I've been looking. There is not a single blue check. I'm only following blue check. I'm only like counting blue checks because I can't do a poll of everybody on the internet that says something to me. 100%. That's but fair. I see the blue checks. Like they're coming up. There's not a single blue check woman that I've observed who's come for me. It's all men who I at one point considered to be leg- real allies of mine. So this is like legitimately hurtful people who I think of as who understand me, who know me, who've read my articles, who've watched my podcast, who I've had on the podcast, who I've literally edited as their superior at the intercept for years, pretending not to understand me or my point of view. I'm sorry. Was that coded Ryan Grimm or, or no, 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 that was Owen. That was Owen. Not not Ryan. I don't think Ryan's waiting on this at all. Okay. No, no, I no. hadn't seen I hadn't seen Ryan weigh in on it. That's why I was trying to no, make sure just, I just, go ahead. Just, I'm sorry. Just Owen. And that's why it's so frustrating. Like, I don't if some random Twitter person sees a headline and makes a judgment, fair enough. Sometimes people make mistakes. I'm not expecting every random person to have the take the time and energy to watch a fifteen minute clip to understand. Like I get that. But if I saw something by someone that I know in respect and a bunch of people were dragging it, if I saw crystal ball or nathan robinson or someone like i don't always agree with everybody but when i see someone like mad at them on the internet i don't immediately hop on the internet and go fuck crystal i always knew nathan was trash no i go and watch the thing that they're upset with and i make my own decision and sometimes i might even talk to them privately about how i feel about what they said and try to get to the bottom of it and by by my you know but like my my like the idea that your instinct is to completely judge someone who you literally have a relationship with in bad faith to me it's just so disappointing no i don't disagree with you at all i mean every everything you've you've said so far like uh, 100 i agree with i'm i'm curious how much do you think um and I say this being a, uh, it's my personal opinion, a fan of Jimmy Dore. How much do you think his criticism of um, Nina Turner spoiled the well for this conversation? That was very frustrating for me to watch go down because I feel like Jimmy Dore misunderstood Nina Turner's tweet. I don't think Nina Turner's tweet at all was applauding the FBI she was saying that the right is going to hypocrite, right? You know, she accurately says, same thing I was saying, like the right is going to inaccurately or, or, or in bad faith champion this cause of abolishing the FBI, but they don't really care. But of course the FBI is bad and has been against left movements and black movements since time immemorial. That's what Nita Turner said in her tweet. 
I don't know why um, Jamie Dore interpreted it the way that he did. Sometimes you don't read tweets closely. I know that there is some animosity that he feels toward Nina Turner because he does not believe that she's been a fighter in the way that she should have been. And I really respect those criticisms. And we've talked about that a lot on the, on the show. On, and on that sure. Day. I'm not asking to, to, I, 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 I'm not asking you to take sides or anything like that. I don't no, no, want no, but I, I, I want to be honest about how I feel. Like, so I think that in the first sure. instance, Nina Turner and Jimmy Dore literally agree on this issue, but, but Jimmy, Jimmy misinterpreted Nina's tweet. On the other hand, I think that Nina's tweet that characterized Jimmy Dore's misinterpretation as being driven by racial animus jumped the shark a little and did not put her in the best position. Like she was, she was winning. Like she is right. Jim, Jimmy Dore unfairly interpreted her tweet and she had a slam dunk case against him for doing that. And the but the implication that he did it because she was black you know, it muddied the waters a little bit. So then you had people defending, you know, who had a basis to kind of j- defend Jimmy Dore, even though I think substantively he was wrong. And the whole thing should have been squashed immediately by someone coming in and saying, hey, guys, I actually think that you agree. And everyone just needed to take a beat on the Internet for a second. Just take a yeah, beat. and I mean, I th- that's probably where I came in in this conversation because what I saw was like a Sabby Sab and um, – um, uh, what is it? Um, blackout. Uh, uh, Social. It used to be Fred Hampton Nick? leftists. Uh, yeah, I, Nick. Revolutionary yeah. blackout. Yeah. 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 I, I I saw them talking about it, and they were all on Jimmy Dore's side and being like, you know, how can he, you know, be anti? We, you know, we agree with Jimmy. And, and I'm sitting here going, okay, what what is going on, right? And and I was I was really confused. So what I'm what I'm hearing from you is, you know, probably Jimmy fucked up, which you know. I, I'm shocked that a Jagoff comedian would, would fuck up. And then, uh, but also probably she did the same. And that's not an excuse for either other, of them. It's, it was, it was fueled by other shit between them. Like they, they read each other in bad faith because they have all this other baggage between the two of them, which is tough. And I, I would love a world if they're listening, <laughs> I would love a world where I could help facilitate understanding between the two. Cause whatever you think, I'm not saying anyone has to be best friends, but th- it doesn't make sense. There should be a world where Jimmy Dore can say to Nina Turner, I'm disappointed that you haven't, you didn't run a more anti-establishment campaign. I'm disappointed that you, you know, haven't been more aggressive about calling out squad members, perhaps because of your personal relationships. I'm disappointed in all of those things. And they can have that conversation. And there should be a world where Nina Turner can make her criticisms back at Jimmy Dore. Mm-hmm. And they're not being like, they, they can be in the same room. And then also pivot 100%. to talk about something they do agree on, like abolishing the FBI, which they both clearly agree on. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be so, all of this. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, no, so you say that. I did not read, and, and, and granted, I'm not going to claim to have read all of Nina's tweets but i really didn't see anything from nina being anti-establishment and in this definition of anti-establishment i mean anti-fbi like i didn't see i didn't read anything from her that was critical well my computer just my computer died i'm sorry and if i I learned the hard way that if i close out of this app and go scrolling on twitter that you guys will stop being able to hear me oops that happened a couple episodes ago but my recollection of the tweet if you can pull it up and read it into the record. My recollection of the tweet was that she said, 
I, you know, I can't the millennials. I can't believe that you know that the conservatives are pretending like they don't like the FBI. The FBI has been hurting the left and black people for a long time, and we've known this forever. But like, they're doing this in bad faith. Like, she said something very clearly about how the FBI has been harmful to the left and black people specifically. Okay, I've got her Twitter pulled up, but I'm gonna I'm gonna add uh, the Nina Turner FBI. I'm gonna add that as a search result. So the original tweet she made was my prediction of the fallout of the FBI raiding Mar-a-Lago is that we're probably going to see a bunch of MAGA Republicans call to abolish the FBI, which of course she wasn't wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, So, I mean, like (laughs) the tweet itself, like she's on, on point. But uh, Jimmy Dore's response was, when lefties cheer on the FBI, you know uh, they are serious about being Democrat. Yeah, like, so Jimmy is presuming that her pointing out the truth, that the, that the, that the, the, the right is going to have a newfound frustration with the FBI, he, because he reads, he thinks that, Nina Turner is a sellout. He reads that as her approving of the FBI instead of her disapproving that the right is opportunistically deciding they don't like the FBI. And I can see why he would jump to that conclusion, giving his pre-existing sentiments about Nina Turner. But, you know, that's not how I read the tweet. And there's a world where Jimmy Dore could have just taken a beat. Jimmy, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody, but there's a world where this could have happened differently where Jimmy Dore said, Wait, are, I'm a little confused. Are you for, like, do you, do you agree, though, in substance, even if you think that the right is acting in bad faith, that the FBI should be abolished? To which Nina Turner can answer, yes, and then we can all be friends. Same with these people who are coming yeah. at me. Like, to the extent that they all, like, mysteriously misunderstand my explicit statements, they could, instead of saying, Brianna's a dumbass who obviously was too black and stupid to get into law school, what, 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 they could have just said, oh, Brianna, if I'm misunderstanding you, do you actually think that, you know, the FBI, you know, that, uh, that Marjorie Taylor Greene is good? And I would reply, I'm glad you asked. Obviously not. <laughs> she's very very bad let me point you to minute three you know th- minute three second 26 of this radar in which i say that explicitly you know what well, yeah 100 and i mean her her so her that was her her first tweet said uh, jimmy Dore knocks uh, a black progressive woman for pointing out conservative hypocrisy when it comes to the fbi yeah uh when he's and serious about being anti but everything went off but to the this, races. But, but this is the sentence or the uh, clause that um, stirred up the shit. You know he's serious about being anti-black and protected conservatives. Yes. It's because was... he disagrees with me, yep. he is anti-black and protecting conservatives. I hear it. And I that that's where everything, that's, that's when that, this became something that I had no interest in participating in. One hundred percent, and and I get that, and 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 the only reason I bring it up because I, I, again, I've I've listened over the night, over the course of this evening, I've listened to Sabi Zab and I've listened to Fred Hampton, mm-hmm. uh, which again, I still can never remember his. Uh, the, the yeah, I know because it's not in his name. handle. That's what it's like. Nick, his name is Nick, but that's what happened when I was I was saying to T, because nowhere in his social media life does he go by Trevor. 
His handle is at Ricky Rawls, which I always forget and can never find him on Twitter. So I always tag him in as Champagne Sharks because that's his podcast. But when people don't put their names anywhere on the internet, you forget their names. Yeah, but uh, and, and I mean, and the, uh, no, no offense to any of them, right? But uh, because I mean, listen, I'm a I'm a white assigned male at birth person, right? Like I have the ultimate white privilege. I'm not trying to dictate anybody's experience of anything. I'm just trying to understand it as an outsider and how I can be an ally, right? How I how can I better uh, my neighbor and. <clears throat> But then, but the reply tweet to the one that Nina Turner did was the one that that got under my skin, which was conservatives were okay with the FBI when it came to the Panthers, MLK, and Malcolm X. Now they have a problem with it, and it's like, no, 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 no. I've had a problem with it. First of all, I'm not a conservative, but second of all, I've had a problem with it from the beginning, and I have a problem with it now. It doesn't matter. But you're not a conservative, though. Like, you don't think that there is some legitimacy to the, the, the like, like I said in my radar, they literally were just cheering Trump on, saying the FBI is great because they're getting Hillary in the emails. And now what? No. Trump is like, completely flipped on it. No, and that's 100%. But it's, but it's everything has to be framed in this tribal way. Is, I mean, I, is look, my, my I, problem. I, I, I get that. I get that. But I also just think, like, this is such a nothing burger. I mean, okay, you don't like the way that Nina Turner framed a tweet. Fine. Like, here's here's why I don't want to get inv- 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 involved on the internet. I, I believe it is 100% true that Nina Turner gets a lot of shit because she's black, because she's 100%. a dark-skinned black woman. A, like, a lot of different no things. Doubt. Because she doesn't come from these kind of elite places that make you an okay black person in the way in the in the eyes of the zeitgeist like all of the reasons she's completely right and she has a chip on her shoulder that she has earned it's not it's not just a random chip like it's a it's a kind of chip that you have to develop to make it through this world and you're on guard for a reason you're on guard because you've been trying to survive in the upside down with you know one chasing you for years and the only reason you've been able to stay alive is because you're hyper vigilant and so i don't begrudge her that at all but sometimes it means you misfire. And it's the same with Jimmy, by the way. Jimmy has a chip on his shoulder from being this quote-unquote jag-off comedian who people don't respect yeah. and who people yeah. dismiss. And he jumps to conclusions and is overly defensive for the same reasons. And that's what's so tragic about this clash. Like, I have so much empathy for the reasons why both of them reacted the way they did. At the same time, I think that this was an, a miscommunication, a mishit, a misfiring by both of them. Brianna, if, if if I dated uh, women, I would um, ask you to marry me. Uh, like, no, I, I, I agree with you 100%. Like, uh, n- nothing about what you said uh, can I find fault with. And, and, and I think that's probably why I um, wanted to bring it up, because I needed someone to help me suss out the um, frustration I had with these two people that I have respect for that we're fighting. And I think you did that very well. Look, maybe I will reach out. I, you know, I'm doing the Young Turks interview tomorrow night. So let me get that under my belt. (laughs) And then once I've, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about this MTG thing and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, But once I get past that gauntlet, I, look, I haven't ever had Jimmy on Bad Faith, which is kind of a weird thing considering that, you know, on the internet you would think we were, uh, twins that shared a womb. 
Uh, so well, maybe this I mean, is a moment to have Jimmy on and to have ST on and work through some of this. Well, and I mean, I, I and but the the thing is that I feel like uh, so many people must remember, like I don't, I assume uh, probably uh, probably at my folly, uh, but you've seen some of the old George Carlin uh, videos, right? Mm-hmm. Of his stand up. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say Jimmy is the inheritor of George Carlin because that would be an insult to George Carlin. No offense, Jimmy, but. Jimmy is definitely trying to be in that vein. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess uh, my, my point would be like um, Jimmy having the freedom of comedy surrounding him where it's like, oh, we're granted more latitude for being comedians, which I don't necessarily disagree with that comedians should have a little more latitude than your um, average Joe as far as pushing the boundaries. But, um, you know, uh, I, I just, I, what am I trying to say? Um, yeah, look, I, I get it. Just, Jimmy's in just a weird be prepared spot. or. I, I, I'm yeah. not afraid. Like, I'm not, I'm not afraid of Jimmy. Like, I, I understand Jimmy. Well, to be honest, I didn't think that for a moment. Well, you know, I, I know that he ha- you know has a temper and he is who he is. I've been on, you know, I've been on a stream. I was on that stream with him where he chewed out poor Ben, uh, Ben, uh, what's his name? I'm blocking his name. He's real sweet. Uh, ben, I'm not going to guess because it's going to be a problem if I guess wrong. But, um, you know, when he like really dogged, I mean, he's such a sweet guy and like, but the thing about Jimmy I know is that he also, he will come back and apologize. And so Ben was a really big person, even though he was unfairly kind of reamed out by Jimmy. He reached out and said, like, I understand why he's so upset. The stakes are so high, and I understand why he reacted to my words. And they made up, and Jimmy has, like, subsequently had him on his show a bunch of times, and now they're friends. He similarly made up with uh, – um, what is with my brain right now? You know, you guys were all mad at, about his China t- takes. He's the antitrust guy, Matt Stoller. Just, just like he yelled at Matt Stoller, mm-hmm. and they were able to make it up, make up, and get on with it. The thing is, like, I'm not saying, like, if if I were talking to like a person in a relationship with someone who was always flying off the handle and da da da, I would say you don't have to keep tolerating this. You should just go ahead and leave. Don't subject yourself to this. However, <laughs> I also do think he genuinely is sorry when he blows up, and I think that unlike a lot of people, he is willing to bury the hatchet. And I'm not saying that, like, that has to be your vibe and that's what you want and that you should have to expose yourself to that or anything like that. But me personally, I appreciate that he is a sensitive person, that he feels very deeply about things. I think that's part of why he has the big audience that he has because people feel like he genuinely cares about these issues like Medicare for all. I had a conversation with him after the force of vote stuff went down where, like, you know, when people accuse him of, pursuing that in bad faith, it breaks my heart because I, you know, I just genuinely feel like he's so deeply invested in that. And even though he makes mistakes and I think he was, you know, wrong on this Nina Turner exchange, I'm going to take someone like him who cares genuinely above someone like Owen, who sees a bunch of people protesting for their lives and decides to dunk on them on Twitter. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I think that that was one of the lowest things I've ever witnessed on this site. I think that that demonstrated such low moral character that it has caused me to say personal things about him that I genuinely don't generally don't let myself do about people that I'm mad at on the internet. Cause I'm sorry. Like I thought that moment was so cruel. It was so cruel. 
I, I was shocked by the cruelty of how he would behave that day. And I don't have any respect for him as a consequence. I'm sorry. That's just honest. Um, and I would take a million jimmies um, and a million blow-ups and a million fucked-up tweets and statements and t- bad takes knowing that he's like a genuine person who's just making mistakes over someone like Owen who knows better and who chooses to hurt people because he can. And I, I just, on behalf of the people waiting in line that I'm about to try to, if there's any, if there's any chance that anybody else can get on uh, for this episode, I just want to say that's why we love you is because we understand that about you, that you, that you are, acting truly in good faith you are trying for the best for all of us and uh, i don't think that's in doubt for any of us and uh, you know we're, we're none of us perfect we're all gonna f up from time to time um that's a given and um i feel like you just demonstrated uh some really good uh, well for lack of a better word some some good faith uh humanity thank you gabriel gabrielle or gabriel gabriel Gabriel, I really appreciate you. And thank you to the chat who says it is Ben Spielberg. I was thinking Spielberg, but I was like, no, Brianna, you're just thinking that because we were just talking about Steven Spielberg and you're just going to seem like a weirdo if <laughs> if you just randomly start calling him Ben Spielberg. But yeah, he's such a sweetheart and I was so glad that they were able to get through that exchange. Thank you so much, Gabriel. I appreciate you calling in and keep the faith. You too. All right. Michelle, you are up next. What's on your mind? Are you still with us, Michelle? Can you unmute yourself? And then I'm coming to you, Ayanda, in the back, because I said I would. Michelle? Okay. I'll come back to you, Michelle, if you uh, get back in the queue. Ayanda, what's on your mind this evening? Um, Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, So, just like, a quick comment. <laughs> I've mm-hmm. always wanted to, like, I think earlier on, like, when I first got to college. Oh, um, Andy, you're cutting, you're cutting in and out. I don't know if you have, it sounds, I'm hearing beep now, too. I don't know if you have another app open or something you can close. Um, One second. Am I still, am I still cutting in and out? You are. Okay, wait. I will switch to my phone. Oh, you're calling from the computer? Yeah, the computer's trash. Yeah. Okay. Are you going to have to get back in line? I'll call you back up again after the next caller if you have to get out and get back in line. Okay. Okay, I'll I'll come back to you right after this. All right. Let's go to Jonathan. Where did you go, Jonathan? Because I've been skipping over you for, in, for the last few episodes. I'm going to make sure I bring you up. How are you doing, Jonathan? Jonathan, can you unmute yourself? Did I catch you off guard too? Oh, are you? Do you think I'm calling the Jonathan who's in the front of the line as opposed to you? I can see how that could be disorienting. No, I'm calling Jonathan, who's one of the best Twitter warriors I've ever oh. seen in the comments. Yeah, you, Jonathan. <laughs> oh my, yeah, no, I'm sorry. The app did something very strange, and it said un, like activate microphone or something like that, and I could not do anything with it for a couple of seconds. I'm sorry about that. No worries, we got you here. Yeah, I originally called in, like, uh, the last episode uh, to vent my spleen about, uh, uh, oh, 
uh, Brunig, but um, you know, I kind of. <laughs> I kind of said everything I needed to say in the comments. Like, you know, he just, he kind of, like, he was taking up, like, the Jason Furman economic talking points. And uh, the thing, one of the things I found the most offensive coming from a progressive was the notion that government spending on a stimulus, you know, the those little checks we got were still a factor in anything. Like, everybody spent those already, like, months ago. And, and just, but then this this uh this radar came up which was absolutely awesome and perfect in every way like oh, this is like no this is <laughs> this is seriously important history and like it's stuff like this one of the reasons that i i've always felt uh ryan grim was a, a kindred spirit is because we're both like these nerds for history stuff <laughs> and like there's all this declassified uh like fbi stuff from that you know from basically the last 70 years mm-hmm. and there's even some very recent history and i bet you those right wingers never even heard any of it mm-hmm. like they've never heard of any of that stuff they believe everything they see on the tv propaganda mm-hmm. and like somebody needed to go out there and be like Hey, right-wingers, I'm so glad you've taken the red pill and joined us where we've been for the last 70 years. Mm-hmm. Now, here's some information you should consider. Mm-hmm. And that's a, as straightforward and basic and common sense a thing as anybody could do. And, you know, unfortunately, I do think the uh, that unfortunate feud between, uh, you know, uh, I agree with just about everything you said characterizing that, uh, like... Uh, our friend John, neoliberal tears can vouch for me. Like I, that broke my heart when I saw it yesterday. I'm like, why are they doing this? Every time I see people like on the left sniping at each other over petty stuff like that, when the world is falling apart at the seams, I'm just like, we're not going to make it, are we? And like nope. and that stuff hurts <laughs> my heart. And like yeah. this, like that. Unfortunately, I think a lot of that spilled over, which is why you're taking way more shit than you should be. Because, like, if you look at the YouTube comments on that, like, when I saw those YouTube comments, like, even so people positive. who usually, every, even people who usually talk trash to you were like, all of a sudden, I love her now. Yeah. And it, like, it really did resonate. And it was, like, it was important that you did that. <laughs> I thought the Marjorie Taylor Greene retweet was hilarious. Like, keep in mind, like, I don't take her very seriously. Jonathan, like, was it you? Did you No, it was him? not. It was not. I don't know, like, I, like, but I saw some of her supporters in your mentions being like, would you campaign for Marjorie Taylor Greene? I'll bet you one of them tagged you in because, like, they were so thrilled. That, like, all these people that always normally hate your guts were like, all of a sudden, I love you now. So, like, that, I think, it was probably one of them. I thought maybe The Hill did it. But, like, I looked on there, on the tweets that I could find, I didn't see her name tagged in or anything. But one way or another, like, I don't, like, I don't think that's going to be any kind of a big deal. Like, that's, like, she, like, like you said, like, she is like a stopped clock. Occasionally, she accidentally says something based. Mostly, it's nonsense and, like, accidentally funny stuff about, like, people drinking poop water and Jewish space lasers uh, and stuff like I'm like I like honestly like I think she's a little nuts and she really genuinely doesn't mean a lot of harm she's just crazy and um, but like it's I don't think that's gonna be a big issue like honestly I think this will stand the test of time I really really tried hard to get my um, my 
boomer communist friend who was like a Vietnam War era activist um, in here. And she said mm. she was going to come, but I think she may have like fallen asleep and, <laughs> and missed it. But like, let the boomers she, rest. <laughs> but like, no, she actually like experienced COINTELPRO firsthand and like mm. several other people. Like, she was over in Germany, like, you know, trying to, you know, encourage soldiers to, like, uh, to uh, to desert and stuff like that, you know, before they got shipped off to Vietnam. And, like, one of the people that was, like, in these organizations, and the organization did fragment and fall apart, but, like, one of the big agitators, like, she was on a trip because she wound up working in the film industry, and she was on a trip to Washington, D.C. for some sort of uh, film thing. And she saw this guy in, like, full J. Edgar gear and called him out by name, and he looked really uncomfortable and scurried away. Mm. Like, mm. these like these things were were very real to a lot of real... I read a lot of those personal accounts of, of these kinds of things happening, too. Like, these people were incredibly creepy and destructive, and, like, a lot of these people that... They were essentially, like, what people describe the KGB as in a lot of those 80s movies. And, like, they, these are very, very dangerous people. And this institution, like, is, like, the deep state type, I hate using that terminology, but, like, that, that security state apparatus, like, they're finally starting to realize, hey, it works for that big club that, not, that neither of us are in, mm-hmm. and you should be worried. Because, mm-hmm. ultimately, like, if you find yourself in the wrong person's crosshairs, you're going to be in trouble, too. Like, any sort of dissenting opinion is threatened by that sort of pervasive security state. And they needed to hear it. And it was very, very... Like, I I thought there was nobody who could have done it better, including Crystal, and she did a great job. I thought it was so funny that we did the same radar. But like you what, know, it's, so, are, I I wonder if you guys are coordinating because there was that time you guys wore a similar patterned outfit and everybody was like, who wore it better? Well, I did that on purpose. She that was so we didn't wear that on the same day. I so I had ordered that top. I had gotten low marks uh, when I modeled it for the guy I'm dating. It was like people were not a fan, and I had it in the bag and I was going to return it. And then I saw Crystal wearing hers, and I was like, you know what? This is the style. Like, this is what's in right now. This is what the girlies are wearing. I don't care what men think. I'm going to just wear this top. So I intentionally wore it because Crystal was wearing it. <laughs> that was coordinated. Um, it was It was fun. <laughs> whatever. I like my I like my, my, my kingdom. But, like, th- this radar, like, we are absolutely not coordinating radars. You know, we just both woke up this morning and chose the same kind of violence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, but I mean, it, and that's happened before too. Like you, I've, I've heard you before, like, I can't even remember the specific instances, but there were a couple of times when you guys did radars on similar topics. And I'm like, man, I feel like I got a two for the price of one here. <laughs> like these are like, these are basically like you two are basically my subscriptions. Like I don't make a lot of money doing EMS work. Mm-hmm. And like, this is like, these are the two subscriptions. I absolutely will not part with that and and uh and the the sub stack that's uh that, that uh katie halpern aaron mate have for um for uh what do you call it? useful idiots mm-hmm. like those are the those are the three things i will not part with and i will go hungry if i have to but that's like i haven't gotten there yet don't worry but it's like those are like those those are really what keep me sane in this world that and and uh i mean josh and dave's show is free but uh, Lo- like those, those, those like those are, yeah, I mean, those are what keep me sane every week. And, uh, 
and like I was just I was really happy to see this because I think it's important. So I, Look, I, I appreciate that. that, and I appreciate you also picking up on this point where, to be to be honest, I was a little worried that the rising audience. Like that I was I was doing too many digs at the right and hypocrisy for the rising audience to hear me because it's a delicate balance. Right. Like I was a little worried that I should have laid off, you know, some of the digs about like, um, what did I say at one point? Uh, you know, like maybe you could be OK. I know you guys are really concerned about like trans story hour or whatever. But like if you could just take one little corner of your brain and focus on this for a second. Like I thought that maybe that I was being a little too snarky and dismissive of them for them to like hear my message. But honestly, the comments, they got it. A hundred percent. They got it. And while there were a couple of people here and there, they were like, why are you talking about race so much? Which I thought was hilarious because all I did was run through the people the FBI attacked. I didn't make them black. <laughs> like, I didn't make them disproportionately black, but, but that should tell you about who the targets of the FBI are. But, like, apart from that, like, they all, like, they didn't mind that I said that Major Taylor Greene was acting in bad faith. They really took the point, the main point of this, which is that these institutions protect power. They have always protected power. They've always protected the establishment, whether that's a neoliberal, like Democrat, or whether it's a, a conservative in office. They always protect power. And that even if you think that, you know, you're defending Trump or whether or not you think that Trump legitimately needs to be investigated by whatever institution or organization, regardless of what you think about this, keep in mind that this is one of the few historical examples you're going to find of someone who has a legitimately a lot of power, money, and influence being the target of an attack like this. And you should, if you, if you like this or if you don't like this, make sure that you keep that energy up where you're critical of the FBI when they come for the little guy. Because nine out of ten times, it's the little guy. Like I said in the radar, 85% of the investigations have been targeting the left. And 15% is left over to target, like, the Ku Klux Klan. We see where their energy is, you know? Yeah. And I like I've had conversations like that with, you know, because keep in mind, like I come from a, a, a family of right wingers, which is one of the reasons why I've always been kind of so impressed with your ability to to uh, talk to a lot of those people in good faith conversations, because like I developed that from, uh, you know, this long experience and, you know, careful study of of how to do it but i had these guinea pigs to work with and you don't have any of those in your family all the, the closest you got is like you know a you know neolib brother and like <laughs> i'm kind of like i'm no i'm like i'm super like impressed that you like but i mean like i like basically that was the one thing that my experience would have given me like i you, you needn't have worried like that they would have heard that point as you made it as you framed it like they understand, especially given, uh, you know, uh, January 6th has been back in the news and you saw a lot of cases where they were basically going after a lot of, of people that were like not violent people. They were like small mm -hmm. fish mm -hmm. and, you know, all this speculation, how many feds were in that, you know, crowd egging mm -hmm. people on mm -hmm. and, you know, all kinds of things like, like they're starting to become aware of these things and become afraid. And, you know, they're watching even Glenn Greenwald on Fox News and being like, hey, hold on, like all of this stuff that I used to think, you know, because I saw on TV, these are the good guys. Maybe, you know, maybe they're not the good guys. Maybe this is a scary place. Yeah, and, between, between Uvalde yeah. and this, like we could be building towards something. It's not chasing after them. 
It's saying we're here in the position that we've always been. And to the extent that you're looking for legitimate long-term support on these issues, come to the left. The left can serve you. I don't understand this attitude that some of these folks have that say, uh, if someone agrees with me, so, so I wanted to tweet this, like nothing is makes, makes a leftist matter than someone agreeing with them. <gasps> these crazy people on the internet, these like online leftists, nothing pisses them off more than someone agreeing with them. Look at even this, this Jimmy and S and T thing. They literally agree with each other and somehow it's made them so angry. <laughs> like, uh, like, so many people, D- David Wasserman, I think that's his name. He's kind of a resistance lib guy, but he, like, he's polite to me and we are able to engage in our differences in a way that I actually kind of respect. He, he tweeted at me, like, I don't think you should take Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene in good faith. And I tweeted back, like, I totally agree. Here's the part of my, and I clipped the part, you know, of my radar that says the same thing. And he liked it. And it's like, great. Why is David Wasserman showing me more respect than Owen Higgins? Well, because Owen Higgins is a, a <laughs> crap, you know. But uh, I, you know, honestly, like I am so grateful to our friend Neoliberal Tears for uh, screen ca- screen capping that thing and DMing it to me, uh, <laughs> so that I have it for posterity. I will not share it around because I respect your decision, but it really was beautiful, and uh, he he had it coming. I'm sorry, like there's no blow too low for that guy. Like, especially, like, you you brought up, like, the incident that was, like, literally one of the most horrible things. And, like, I I can't imagine how he dared show his face in public after that, at least not without a groveling apology. But he's completely, you know, unapologetic because he's a bit of a sociopath, so. Yeah, I mean, look, I wouldn't have tweeted about anybody else, but he has a unique ability to irritate me because I do think that he behaves in a way... And often I'm not the like I can take whatever you know, but he behaves that way toward a lot of other smaller accounts. I just I just find that kind of behavior so unscrupulous. And again, it's not the disagreement. David Wasserman, like our politics cannot be further apart. But like when he disagrees with me, his approach is to be like, "Why do you believe this way?" I'm genuinely curious. Like, why do you think that? Like, I disagree. And I'm like, well, David, this is why. And sometimes we understand each other, and sometimes we don't. But like, I have no animosity in my heart toward that guy who was probably going to go off and vote for Pete Buttigieg within this foreseeable future. <laughs> you know, but like, it's not personal. I just don't yeah, understand I mean, I why do people have, can't be more like that. Yeah, I do have, uh, I have a lot of friends actually that I, I consider to be kind of, you know, to have kind of shit libby tendencies. In fact, uh, you know, in the economic space, you'd be surprised how many people have really good economics and like really crappy politics. And you're like, how do you reconcile those two? But again, I come from a Republican family that also happen to be fundamentally good people. And mm-hmm. they, you know, somehow live with those, the you know, that kind of cognitive dissonance in their in their life. So I know it's possible. So I try not to judge these people too harshly and, you know, try to engage in good faith whenever I can. But there was one more point I wanted to bring up that I saw. I don't know if you missed it in your replies or, or not, but uh, somebody tweeted something perfect, I thought, which was an Onion article that said, the worst person in the world just made an excellent point, <laughs> which yeah. I thought just summed up everything. So it's so funny. I did a radar. I don't remember which one it was or who I was talking about, but I literally did a radar that opened with that graphic. Maybe it was even about Marjorie Taylor Greene the last time she said something that was halfway right. Yeah, I think it was. I literally had done a radar that opened with that exact graphic because that is the point, right? Like these people are right 
occasionally by accident. And you should use those as opportunities. If they say they really care about an issue, that they're passionate about an issue that I also care about, great. Put them, put it to the test. Make them prove it. Put forward legislation. Make them, call them to the mat and say, well, if you agree with me on this, come over here to the left and do this thing with me that advances the cause. Don't just let them own the space. We've let the right own everything. They own free speech. You know, they, they own the Constitution. They own, they own all of this stuff that used to be the province of the left. Because instead of when they say something that's true about how we should have free speech, instead of saying, yes, and this is what free speech looks like, and you are acting inconsistently with that value, we say, oh, no, you don't really believe it. And actually, I don't believe in free speech either if it means what you mean. And then we dig ourselves into this hole where they get to be the ones that seem to be espousing the value. No, you got to reclaim it. You got to fight. You got you got to yeah. you got to you know, piss on your territory. <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, or, you know what, when they say something good, you know, think of it like positive reinforcement. Give them yes. a cookie. Like that time Candace Owens said that thing about uh, the price of insulin at one point. And I just, we, everybody was sitting here like the Jack Nicholson gif with the, doing the nodding, nodding yes. yes. And by the way, and the like, right does that all the time. Look at Marjorie Taylor Greene, what she's trying to do to me. Marjorie, I, I said it in the tweets that she re- retweeted, I, I imply that she's not acting in good faith. But she retweeted it anyway, and she's pretending like we can be friends. Oh, come over to the right, Brianna. Right? Like, we should be doing that. Come over to the left, Marjorie, actually. Like, and I'm not, again, I'm not, like, trying to convince Marjorie Taylor Greene of anything. I'm trying to convince an audience of something. Because Marjorie Taylor Greene has her ideological priors and her own commitments, and she's not going to be convinced of anything. But, like, it's the audience that you have to respect enough to, to believe that they have the autonomy to make up their own decisions. And re- the Republicans do that a lot better. They say, hey, you're being disrespected. Here, I'll listen to you. I'll believe you. I'll, I'll hear out what you have to say. And meanwhile, so many parts of the left are, so in- are, are more interested in just proving they're right and punching down. Yes, I agree completely, 150%. Couldn't well, have said it better. You. Thank you, Jonathan. I always appreciate you. I always see you out here in these Twitter streets, and I appreciate you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was working. I was busy at work today. I could not get as involved as I wanted to. Like you were I, involved. like I saw you. I appreciate you. Yeah, no, I like I wanted to really dive in there and start slugging, but uh, I got I got a few good licks in. You you did. God bless you, Jonathan. Doing the, the Lord's work. Thank you so much, and keep the faith. Thank you. All right, I'm going back to Allende for third time's the charm. <laughs> What's on your mind? Oh, no, Allende, you... like, we're, like, star-crossed right no. now. Oh, wait. No. Hey, hey, I hear you now. Okay, I hear you, but it's glitchy. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me <laughs> I can now? hear you. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That sounds good. Um, I think you're like going through my earpods for some reason. My earpods aren't on. I don't know what's going on, but um, <laughs> um, so you can hear me well right now. Yes, a hundred percent. You're great. Okay. Um, you know, like you were as you were saying earlier, like earlier, earlier. Um, I also had like, even though you know I'm a guy, but I also have like a dream of being on the View. Like that was <laughs> I love like. I used to love The View, but The View in its prime, back when, like, Joey Behar was a Bernie Krat and, like, mm-hmm. and they weren't all, like, Joe Biden stands. Like, each mm-hmm. and every one of them is a Joe Biden stand now. Mm-hmm. Even the Republican, the resident Republican is mm-hmm. a Joe Biden stand, essentially. So, it's, like, it's uninteresting, mm-hmm. like, right now. Um, but... By the way, they let what, Jerry, Jerry O'Donnell, what's his name? Jerry McDonald, Jerry O'Connell... 
Jerry O'Donnell, Jerry O'Connell. They let him host for a while, and he's a man. Just saying. He did? Mm, the, the guy who's married to Rebecca Romaine. I think they're still oh, married. I should go look up YouTube clips of that. But anyways, um, like, I'm just thinking, like, I'm just thinking about, like, why is... A part of the frustration with this moment is that, like, there is no actual, like, institution that can, that, like, left-wing people control that can make the most of this moment. Because, like, had, had, um, what's his name? Uh, Chuck Schumer. Had Chuck Schumer been, like, a Bernie person, right? Mm -hmm. Like, put up a bill today, like, to to curb the influence of the FBI. Mm -hmm. Like, like, how, like... Like, I just wish, like, when, okay, when there's a free speech scandal, put up a bill today about mm-hmm. free speech. Like, just do it. Like, mm-hmm. what is, what, and I keep, like, look, look, looking at, like, Biden and, like, all these establishment Democrats, right? Like, why can't they just remove talking points from the board? Like, even when it comes to something, like, as controversial as, like, voter ID, right? Be like, okay, you can have your voter ID, but you have to give the person the ID at the poll site, right? Mm-hmm. Vote it down. Vote it down. Like do something like that. Take the take the talking point off the table. Be the person that they want you to be, even though it's not really the person they want you to be. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like use the energy. And I just feel like so frustrated that there is like these talking points are just gonna exist, right? These people who don't actually believe in talking points, they don't believe in free speech, they don't believe you should actually have a right to vote. They don't care if whether or not you have an idea or not, they just want you to vote Republican, essentially. Like, you know, like all these people who don't actually care in like I'm talking about the representatives at least who don't actually care about these issues are getting credit for like this because performative you, stuff yeah yeah because you don't want to deliver on any of it yeah um and like I even partially like in a way I I I haven't I don't blame Bernie but I have a critique of Bernie in this way is because it's not as if like quote-unquote, like, left-wing politics is not popular, mm-hmm. right? It's more so the people who pretend to, like, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton like, said she was a, pro- a progressive. Like, it was either yesterday or today. Like, she she implied that she was a progressive. She said, oh, pro- make the progressive change, yada, yada, that you want to make. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, girl, like, <laughs> you're not you're not a progressive. At this point, they've, they've commandeered the term, and the 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 crazy part about that whole thing is that, like, it's not like Bernie exists. Like, Bernie is still the most popular politician. I keep telling my grandmother that she doesn't want to believe it. Mm-hmm. That, like, every poll that comes out still has Bernie, like, ahead of every other mm-hmm. politician, right? And I'm mm-hmm. like, why doesn't he just say, like, okay, you cannot pretend to be a progressive if you take over money, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, just, like, continuously just say, this is the definition of a progressive, mm-hmm. right? On his like, have his little whoever his intern is who does his tweets. Mm-hmm. This is like every other day. This is the definition of progressive. If you're not this, you're not a progressive. End of story, mm-hmm. right? Like, why can't we just do that? You know what I mean? Why can't the people in the progressive caucus who actually are progressive, whatever, maybe make up a new term, call mm-hmm. yourselves that? And you know, like, am I am I being unreasonable? Nope. And I love the idea of distilling it down to like, this is what I was saying to Andrew Yang about the forward party too. distilling it down to that one issue is great because so often the left is accused of having too many litmus tests and it's unfair and no one can meet the standard. Getting money out of politics at various points has been embraced as a 
even a liber- neoliberal goal. Barack Obama ran on it and then promptly reneged on it after he won the primary because he realized how much money he can make from corporate donors, right? So, like, it is it is something that Democrats have pretended to believe in it enough that they would have a hard time fully just saying, no, 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 I actually don't want campaign finance reform. I actually do think it's good to take corporate money. Now, people will try. I mean, you heard Andrew Yang basically say to me on the program, like, dodge out of the question and say, uh, well, we, you know, if you look at our books, we haven't, you know, it's not been a problem yet. So I don't see why I should have to take a no corporate money pledge. First of all, there, I don't believe there's been substantive disclosures as of yet. You know, like before, well, I shouldn't say off the record stuff, but like I believe that they have raised a lot of money that they haven't had to disclose the source of as of yet. Um, but secondly, like if it's not a problem, then just say you're never going to do it. If you if you agree with me that it's a value that you haven't taken corporate money so far, then why wouldn't you just commit to never doing it? And yeah, so I do really, that's a long way of me to saying I think you're a hundred percent right. Yeah, he mm-hmm. do, he really dodged the question there. Like I'm a I, I was originally like an Andrew Yang guy, but you know, mm-hmm. like I, I I have my reservations about him now. But in terms of like, I do have a like a, a small point, like because I'm trying to see Steel Man like. Andrew Yang's case, especially mm-hmm. since I've like followed him a lot and um like I watch his podcast. I've seen I saw the direction that he was going in with the Ford party, like that it was even gonna be a thing just mm-hmm. by the guests that he was having on like a long, long time ago, like before he started running for mayor, right? Um mm-hmm. and I have to say that there is this small like discrepancy where like there's this you can kind of separate it where corporate money is why politicians don't want to do the things, the right thing, but Mm -hmm. he's separating that out. And he's saying, not just why is it that they don't want to do the right thing? Why is it that they're continuously doing the wrong thing and can still survive? Like, you know, in, Mm -hmm. in this political realm. And so he's dealing with the, like the, you should fail if you don't do the right thing. Whereas, like, you know, there is this other aspect of it where you should want to do the right thing because your incentives are such that you sh- shouldn't want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that's, I think that's very well put. I, and, I, and I, there is something, there is something cogent about that argument. I mean, the, the option, but, but here's the issue. If you just wanted to do protest voting and punish people for not doing the right thing, then there are any number of candidates that you could vote for that aren't the establishment candidates. You could vote green, you could vote libertarian, you could stay home. If you just want to punish the person for not doing the right thing, there's a lot of ways to make folks fail without investing in a whole new party. And it seems to me that people want a new party because they don't want to feel like they're wasting their vote. They want to feel like they're saying something affirmative about what they believe in and have candidates that have a chance to win. That's why we're talking about ranked choice voting, right? And ballot access is because you actually want people not to think of this as just a spoiler effect, but because you affirmatively want folks to be able to win, incredibly draw votes. So I, I really take your point. And I think that you did a much better job kind of framing what his objective is than even he did on the show. And I hope you know that I'm, for better or for worse, rooting for Yang. I, I, I like him as a person. And I don't feel like, and I could be wrong, but I don't feel like he's uh, – is a guile-driven person. I, I I don't think that he is acting in bad faith. But yeah. I do think that sometimes he, you know, doesn't quite understand what's happening, what's motivating people's desire to divest from the two-party system. And I don't think he understands that, like, you don't have to agree on everything, but there are these naturally occurring organizing principles that are 
opportunities for new coalitions to be built. And I don't think you have to agree on everything, but you have to provide some scaffolding for people to trust each other. And I think no money, no corporate um, money is such a, a good one for that. And so is the anti-war thing. And maybe like but some, when some I, stuff like a, a, this yeah. FBI thing, there, there's other things that I think are emerging over time, but like that core principle I think will go a long way. Go ahead, I'm sorry. But I think aside from the, the corporate money thing, which I think is like more core and we can like, uh, I, I take those criticisms. I actually, I have that same criticism right? But when it comes to, like, the other policy issues, like, I think that he kind of has addressed um, why there isn't more of a policy platform for the no, poor no, party. I agree, and that's what I'm saying. I don't expect him to sit here and give me a stance on $15 minimum wage or anything. I'm not asking for that at all. I, but I am saying, you, I do think you have to have an organizing principle that is rooted in the idea that you have to do something to prevent the forward party from being just like the other two. And to do yes. that, you have to have an analysis of why the other two are the way they are. And to me, the answer is corruption, corporate capture, potato, potato. That's it. The only reason someone would throwing do ideas in a up, democratic system, I, I'm just would not do something that is popular and would get them reelected is because something is more important than getting them reelected, and more important yeah. than being popular. And I'm just, I'm just throwing like ideas at a wall here, but like I, I, I kind of see because he's also mentioned like a lot of what's gonna be governing the Ford Party, like the idea that it's gonna be like a lot more direct democracy, like meaning like he's, you know, he's a tech, like he has his old tech thing, so he's saying like, oh, we're all gonna have apps and we're gonna like vote on things, like if you're a member of the Ford Party, like and we're just gonna vote on things, they're gonna vote on policy platforms, yada yada yada, and that's how it's gonna be like a ground up type of thing with more participation. So he, I think maybe it's possible that in his mind he can design the structure of the Ford Party such that like even if they're taking corporate money, like the bylaws are. Such that like it's 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 always gonna be the members making making like you know like people like me and you like just on the app making the the big decisions. You know that's so funny that you say that because during some segment today on Rising, I had the thought that because people people were um, raising this issue, we were talking about I think the IRS and whether or not we should be skeptical of them having more resources. Are they going to use all these resources to target low income people to audit them the way that they do currently? And I was taken in by this argument. I, I think I have a natural skepticism of institutions. And I do think it was a legitimate concern to say, well, how do I know that this isn't going to exacerbate the existing problem? I did more reading and discovered that the amount of funding and the number of, they're not agents they're all hiring, but just staffers generally, including tech staff and stuff like that, that they're hiring are going to restore the IRS to the levels they were 10 years ago, at which point, there were 50% more investigations of affluent people as compared to now. And the idea is to get to re, re-enable the IRS to have the resources to handle those more complex cases that rich people have because they're better at hiding their money and avoiding taxes. Now, that doesn't really get rid of the issue that, of course, any government agency, when empowered, could exploit the people, just saying where the, the FBI is. And so I had this idea, I had this thought, like, how do you wrestle with that? As socialists, as people who kind of believe in big government, you gotta, you got to wrestle with that issue, especially since we have such a tenuous democracy and it's hard to hold, it's hard enough to hold your politicians accountable, much less these kind of unelected agency figures that are there by appointment and who operate in the cloak of darkness so often. And I was thinking, like, I wish that we lived in a world where instead of voting for politicians, there was literally a policy platform 
that set out what every politician and every agency and everybody was allowed to do. And it was like a prospectus, like a scope of employment document. <laughs> and we elected <laughs> them to do exactly this, nothing else. If something else comes up and you got to change it, then we have another vote and a referendum on <laughs> is the, are they allowed to issue this vaccine or are they allowed to whatever comes up. But you know, I was like, I, when I see, saw this issue, I'm like looking at all the people complaining, and it's it's precisely all the, pe- the people who like just don't want the idea of taxes in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but Robbie, like, <laughs> but like one thing that did one argument that they did make that did stick out to me was the fact that it was put up for a vote. Well, I don't I don't know if it's true or not. I just heard it. Like maybe it was on the rising clip too that it was put up for a vote, like, to actually mandate that it not be used against people yeah, making yeah. less than 400K and that that was voted down, then I'm like, okay, hold on. Well, they stripped like, it out. I think that that she said, Liz said that they stripped it out. And I didn't have a chance to ask her, well, like, who stripped it out? Like, and why was it stripped out? Is it, you know, because I could see a scenario where, I'm sorry, there's a bipartisan interest in taking that out. You know? Like, I'm not saying, I don't know if it's the Republicans' fault. I don't know if it's the Democrats' fault. I don't know whose fault it is. I don't know if it's both of their fault. And it's just the elites in Congress who want to take that out. But, like, I could, I, I, I was on, I didn't really want to get into that point with her because I just didn't know enough about it to draw any conclusions about what happened there. But I would obviously agree that there should be some, you know, statutory protection. I don't know even how, how much you can really enforce that. But there should be some statutory protection that they're going to they're gonna do what they say. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. But you're breaking out, but, um, I mean, you're, you're, you're breaking up for me. I don't know what's going on with my connection, but, you know, it was nice talking to you. Okay, I'm sorry. I see someone else saying that my volume has gone low. Let me know if this is persisting. I kind of leaned back a little bit from the microphone, but it shouldn't have been all that crazy. Um, thank you so much for calling in, Allende. I'm going to go you. to uh, Michelle, who I tried before, and we weren't able to connect. Michelle, let me know Michelle, what's on your mind. Hey, I think it actually worked this time. Excellent. Nice. Um, no, I was I was definitely feeling bad for you with uh, some of the feedback you were getting. I I don't under I honestly I'm a little baffled by it. But the thing that I feel like when these fights get really bad, I feel like it's something about when it's somewhere where the left is like, it's kind of people who end up on that line of the left and the liberal side. I feel like a lot of it is where the liberals have become really ideologically inconsistent. Mm. Um, and I think some of it was Trump, some of it was Hillary losing the election. But, like, it's not surprising when it's, like, something like the FBI, who, I mean, like, they've kind of flip-flopped on multiple times Mm -hmm. based on, you know, whether their fantasy figure is benefiting from them or having problems with them. But it seems like the same thing, you get the same, like, level of venom when it comes to stuff around the war, when it comes to stuff around Assange, Mm -hmm. When it comes to some of this Cold War stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's so ironic. And and I think Force the Vote was like one of those too, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, if you believe in this stuff, it if if you actually want the things you say you want, this is <laughs> this is like a strategy to get it. And you can disagree, but like the anger at it feels like <sighs> 
Are, it's almost like it's whipping people into a line. Mm. I don't. Is that does that? Yeah, it's it's a weird like loyalty thing. It, you know what I think about is like sometimes when I worked was on the Bernie campaign, people would make criticisms of Bernie or their campaign that I would feel defensive about because I would be like, oh, like part of part of it was that, like I would maybe even agree with them. But I would know something about the decision that had been made or I'd be like, well, this isn't really Bernie's fault. There was a scheduling issue. He couldn't go to this event or that event. And I would be frustrated that Bernie was getting criticism that I didn't think was all the time warranted. However, I knew that the people who were making the criticism were doing it because we believed in the same things and they wanted they wanted Bernie to live up to an ideal that they perceived him not living up to. And it never occurred to me to be like hateful and vicious yeah. <laughs> at those people, even though sometimes they made our lives on the campaign very inconvenient and it felt like friendly fire. And I was like, come on guys, like get it together. Like just for a second, like I, I never would have occurred to me, even though it was annoying and inconvenient to me in my job and all of those things to really personalize it in that way. And that's what is so confusing to me. Like I understand feeling like, okay, I don't be- think the force of vote is a good idea. I think I'm protective of the squad the way I was protective of Bernie and, you know, just don't hurt them. We need them. I, I get, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't agree yeah. with that, but I understand how someone could feel that way or misunderstand what force of vote was about or whatever and feel that way. But to then turn around and be like, you're the worst hire Bernie ever made. And you know, you're a dumb bitch. And da-da-da. like, I just, I, that is like, what? <laughs> What is happening? And and it was the force of vote. I'm telling you, like the people who like came for me over that, we were like cubicle to cubicle, side by side for a year in the trenches. What's his name? Uh, Jack from the campaign. I forget. I haven't seen him on on Twitter in a while. Maybe I muted him. I don't remember. But he, you know, he was a great tweeter. He always had these like double digit tweets that really really beautifully summarized what the left was about. Like I really liked him. And over a force of vote, like immediately, it was like just all this personal invective. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't David Wasserman saying like, Hey, I don't agree with you. Explain why you think this. It was, it was people with this smug. The other one I will say with, along with Owen, that I was very disappointed in his tone toward me. And I don't feel at all about him. Like I do Owen, like they're typically different categories, but I didn't think that Ben, Ben, um, Ben Spielberg. Should, no, no, no. Ben, make me oh. an argument, Ben. Uh, oh, Why am I yeah. doing this? I fully know his name. This is ridiculous. My brain is over Ben's, apparently. Um, but I felt like he, you know, was – and he, did, he said something recently about – I think I brought it up on here on a podcast about me. Like, it's just so uncharitable. Like, it, I, the thing that really triggers me is when people act like, I'm stupid. No, honey. We just disagree. Like, you're the one who didn't realize that Kevin McCarthy can be Speaker of the House. You have literally no entitlement to call a single person stupid for the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And that that is what gets me so bad. Like, why aren't you giving me the benefit of the doubt? We literally were together and fall together. Like, I'm right, first of all. But even if you thought that I was wrong, why wouldn't you be patient enough to engage with me enough and read what I've said or listen to what I've said enough to give me the benefit of the doubt? David Wasserman is giving me more benefit of the doubt than Ben. Oh, for fuck's sake. I thought it was going to come out if I just started saying his name. <laughs> it was close. It seems someone close. The, someone in the chat is going to tell it to me. Someone will, yeah, someone will throw it in. But sorry, go ahead. Ben Burgess, Ben Burgess. Thank you, chat. Thank you. <laughs> 
No, I just, I totally, I, I, I am, I am baffled by an, I had friends who ended up on the other side of that whole thing too, who I'd worked with on the burning campaign and in even navigating the conversations, it's like whatever occurred on Twitter, which I've been avoiding because it was, it was a little too high conflict for me at the time. Um, they they were so triggered and everyone was so upset and i was like it's a really logical i i just didn't understand like how how intense people had gotten about it i but i feel so like weird. yeah go ahead it's it's weird but it does it feels like it's usually around and i feel like this thing with hillary it's so interesting to see the libs go so crazy over classified documents after they made such a big effing deal yeah. about how classified documents meant nothing when it was Hillary and her server. And you just have to look, step back and be like, Do, does anyone have any ideological consistency at all? <laughs> like, do if. Do no. you have I mean, standards? <laughs> what, what they believe, look, what they believe is that, okay, Hillary was never president. Trump was. And what they believe is that Trump has documents that are of a higher national security relevance because he literally was president and had access to stuff. And also that specifically, this is just my conjecture, my trying to understand the psychology here, that he is specifically trying to take and destroy documents related to his culpability on 1-6. And so their feeling with Hillary Clinton is that she might have like handled documents wrong, but there wasn't like a specific agenda that she was trying to cover up that was as significant as stoking a hashtag insurrection and that's the distinction i think they're making in their minds now as a leftist we who learned all that shit about how they were rigging the primary from the podesta emails and stuff we as leftists believe that hillary clinton even if it wasn't a national security interest was doing things that was that were as corrupt and relevant as anything that Trump might be in Trump's possession, or even if it's not as relevant as that, it, it was very, very significant because it was the the but for the you know the, the 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 condition which, if fulfilled, could have led to Bernie being president of the United States of America, right? Like it was well, it was really significant to us. Totally. Well, and on top and on top of that, I mean, first off, cl- a classified document is a classified document to a certain degree. There are different levels of it, but. You know, that document would very easily go to a secretary of state and a president sure. and the Excellent. rules around it would, would be the same. Yes. And also, like, the the whole thing with Hillary's email server was that she was doing stuff through her private email that wouldn't be on the permanent record, which yes. is also the thing with Trump. That's what they're yes. they're saying. It's this posterity thing. That's what they're claiming. It's like well, that's ridiculous. It's obviously yeah. one six. It is. Look, I think it probably is, too. It's, 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 Trump said this is a witch hunt. It is a one six witch hunt. Now that doesn't mean yeah, it's not. That doesn't mean that Trump didn't do bad things. Yeah, no. People should investigate it. <laughs> you know, through you know appropriate means. But like this, this it look, look. It's hard to thread this needle, and I largely just avoided it in my radar. Like I didn't opine on whether or not I thought Trump was culpable or whether he should be investigated by another organization or any of that. Because, like, honestly, it's beyond my pay grade, and it's just not for me. Totally. However, like, it, it look, it is the case that there it has been the basis to investigate and search many other figures in American history 
who were either president or close to being president, including Hillary Clinton, including Barack Obama for any number of war crimes, including George Bush for any number of war crimes. And the lesson that we should be drawing from this, and to the extent that Trump is being called out just, you know, in a, with a different from those other figures, is that letting people off the hook makes it bad for you when you try to prosecute your guy because you do look inconsistent. And this is a point I made on Rising Today, I think, several, several times. The argument isn't that you need to be ratcheting down the culpability for powerful people across the board. The argument is that you need to be ratcheting it up for all of them equally across the board. A hundred percent. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's just like be be consistent. And if if these rules are that way, if someone breaks them, I mean, you could definitely even if you're just looking at the bushes, you know, if someone was involved with the. CIA or the FBI and then their president. Yeah, they're they're slipping by a lot of that stuff. I mean, they talk, you know, I think I think the truth is Trump is an exception because he wasn't in that circle. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't think if anyone should be punished for January 6th, it should be Trump. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not really a question to mm-hmm. me at all. It's just specifically this thing with what they've released so far. I mean, all they've said is classified documents. That's what mm-hmm. they've, that's the information that everyone is going off of. Which is why it feels like a witch hunt. Now, Adrian yeah. Garland today says they're releasing the warrant. I hope for the sake of Democrats that it's a good fucking warrant. Yep, totally. <laughs> I hope it's real detailed <laughs> and has a lot of substantive evidence in it. And I imagine that it is pretty good or else Garland wouldn't have basically pulled this like, you know, I thought it was I thought it was well assuming the warrant is good. I thought it was well handled today, actually, because Trump is saying they won't show you the warrant. Trump has the warrant. He's not showing it to us. And Garland <laughs> yeah. is like, OK, then I'll show it to you because, you know, you're I think you're not supposed to. I'm not this kind of lawyer, so don't at me. But I think you're not supposed to disclose it for privacy reasons. But the the argument he made was like because of the public nature of this is because Donald Trump has been alluding to it. We don't have to protect his privacy. So we're going to show it to you. We're making the application to show it to you. Um, and so we'll see what happens and we can all yeah. evaluate then, but I'm not going to sit here. They are setting yeah. a Trump up to make the argument that it's a witch hunt. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the challenge is like, if people were treated consistently when these things happened in the past, you know, when, when Nixon left office and he just got that flat pardon, that's the type of stuff that mm-hmm. I would say, those are huge problems. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what erodes democracy. So I don't have a problem, and I'm certainly not defending Trump. Trump, you know, yes, getting in Trump trouble bad. is fine yes. by me. I, I'm, yeah, exactly. It's, I'm, it's the last thing I'm concerned about. But I would say, like, you give them fodder <laughs> to yeah. say that it's a witch hunt if you are inconsistent and there are no repercussions in other cases than this one there is. And maybe we'll find out it's not about the thing they're saying. It, it's been interesting oh, and yeah. watching people cheer on the FBI since even since, you know, when Trump was in office, it was disturbing. Oh, that. for sure. They couldn't <laughs> decide how they felt about Comey every other week. Yeah. It's like, he's a hero. He's an enemy. Like the whole yeah. thing was bonkers. No, it really. And that's where I think the anger comes from. Like, I think it's cognitive dissonance. It's like mm-hmm. they whipped themselves in a frenzy so far in each direction. They love someone or they hate them. And it was the mm-hmm. same the same thing with Assange when it was the Iraq war. Mm-hmm. Love him when it's Hillary. He's the mm-hmm. devil. It, at some point, it's like you just 
the, the nature of it. Yeah. Oh my God. I love Dick Cheney too. So oh, someone, and her someone... lib quote, Dick Cheney, or good yeah. quote, Liz Cheney on my wall. Like she was a hero. And I was like, yeah. I think you might've missed the purpose of this or like, yeah. what? Ah. Someone added me today and they were like, well, do you, they made an analogy. They were like, well, do you think, do you love Liz Cheney too? And I was like, when did I say anything about Marjorie Taylor Greene? Like, I want her to run for president because yeah. I with her about this moment. No, like truly, this is, these are very different things. If you want to say Liz Cheney made a good statement today at this 1-6 hearing, Liz Cheney had a good line of questioning at the 1-6 hearing. That is a fine statement. That might be a factually true statement. Okay. That is not the same thing as these libs bloviating over her and acting like she should be the next president of the United States. Those are two very different things. And again, it's just showing their ideological inconsistency. It's like, do you actually believe, do, what do you believe in? Like, what are, what are your goals if you get someone elected? Cause I can't tell if you want Liz Cheney to be your president. But like, no, when, or when like someone like Aaron brings up the fact that there's only, I was a Bobert who was like, against the war mm-hmm. and she was the only person saying it mm-hmm. no one's praising them no one's saying anything other than like it's kind of shocking that the only take it's it's almost because the narrative thread is so I, I think it's that attack that happens if anyone's outside of it so people stay in this narrative lane yeah and god bless people like aaron for i don't know why i'm still talking about gods like, but like, I'm so appreciative people like Aaron who are willing to take these things in arrows by pointing out those inconsistencies. It takes a lot of bravery to step out of your ideological um, confines. And I, I know that oh, people yeah. feel however they feel about Glenn, and I know that I don't always agree with him, and we'd, we'll probably do for another chat. But, like, it takes so much courage to bust out and think for yourself and say these kinds of things that I honestly just have respect for people who are willing to get out there and expose themselves and say the things and challenge our presumptions because if not for them – like literally where would we be? And, and also exactly. the point about MTG and Bobert and stuff, part of the project is trying to shame and shock Democrats and parts of the left back into being in the positions that they should be. Exactly. You know? It's like, exactly. hello, I'm not saying this because I like Bobert. I'm like, I'm saying this because I'm begging you to give me someone else to, to applaud on this point other than Bobert. Cause I so very desperately don't want to have to hand it to Bobert. Exactly. But like when we have no, like with the example of Aaron, no anti-war votes and you're seeing the same type of like, I like narrative discipline slash like just extremely toxic energy coming towards anyone who expresses dissent. It's scary. And a lot of us were, I was alive when 9-11 happened. Like I remember what happened to the people who spoke out. I think a lot of us do. I think a lot of us remember yep. what happened to the Dixie Chicks. I think a lot of us, yep. not that I'm empathizing with Bill Moore now, because, oh my God. Right. But like, but I mean, I will always respect him for what he did then. Yeah. And, you know, it, this country is, this country and specifically liberal media, a lot of the time is pretty brutal. Yeah. I guess I don't even know if we can call them liberal. It's hard to say, but well, not with Nicole Wallace, which is spokeswoman <laughs> no. holding down the fort at MSNBC. Yeah. Yeah. Look, thank you. I appreciate you calling in. I've really enjoyed this. I'm glad we, we got your audio to work. Totally. Thank you. Have a great night. You too. Now, Jonathan with the yin yang symbol, I was literally just about to come to you and you got out of line and you're being so patient. So 
feel free to ignore this. I'm inviting you to speak, but if you are actually like truly over it, just ignore me and I will go to the next person. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to ignore you, but I'm sorry. You were so patient in the front of the line and I feel bad. Okay. Um, Paul, you're up. What's on your mind? Oh, there you go, Jonathan. Okay. I'm going to call you next, Jonathan. Go ahead, Paul. Paul. Okay, Jonathan. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. What's on your mind this evening? Well, I was just picturing an old, I don't know who brought it up, but it's like there's goblin under a bridge and the townsfolk are being taxed. And they said, oh, let's go get the ogre to oust the goblin. But as soon as he got the control of the bridge, he did the same thing. and Tax was higher. And like, oh, then let's go get the giant troll to get the, joke, the ogre out of there. And there's somebody's mm-hmm. like, well, why wouldn't it end the same way? So if you're going to, it's easy to make fun of the people with the, the blue line jackets going, yeah, and the FBI. Well, so are you for the state or are you against it? Mm-hmm. But if you had a defund poster, mm-hmm. why are you stopping short of completely getting rid of the FBI, NSA, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, if you have an FDR sort of way of solving problems, you could create federal agencies, like dozens of them, right? Mm-hmm. But the, when you even said earlier, like, socialists are pro-government. But when I think back, back to the beginning, they're very mm-hmm. anti-government. Mm-hmm. And All to of be, that FDR stuff was the compromise position. Right. That's a more of a liberal thing. But if mm-hmm. you're going to be a leftist, you got to go further back and be like, what Engels has said something like, there can be no state because state will always be the cudgel of the powerful few against the disenfranchised many. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. that's a libertarian thing to say. So in 1920, a socialist and a libertarian were like almost the same thing. Mm-hmm. But this is all uh, pertaining to the FBI and just like whether you think it should be completely eliminated and, and to what extent the state apparatus is too big. So you, you find yourself as a big government socialist. I think you did that. I could be wrong. Yeah, it's. It, I'm really struggling with it, to be honest. I mean, I think Robbie raised some good points. I do. I think he raises good points sometimes. Do you find the police is a small government thing to say? It's really a libertarian thing to say. Yeah, and we, we agree on that police state stuff. It's a very refreshing topic to come up on the show because you know it's easy for us and you've kind of maybe convinced me to pick up a book and read some angles because i'm really fascinated by you know i need a description i need to better understand what the world looks like that was mark's quoting angles in the book called the state and revolution and i'm pretty sure he said that angles said there can be no state because the state will always be my computer died and i don't have a pencil near me but i'm going to try to that's okay Um, you can read and play it back later i guess i can't play it back Go to the three three hour eight minute mark. Um, yeah, I, I I like this is again. I don't mean to bring up Star Trek all the time, but you know it really is helpful to be able to imagine what a different kind of future can look like. And I am enough aware enough of the history to know that you know communists were asking for something very different, and FDR, you know, pacify you know cut them off of the pass in their powerful movement by giving us all of the programs that we celebrate today. Yeah, but we but, want a Green New Deal. That's a very liberal thing to want, too. So you got these aspects of this classic liberalism. Yeah. And so it's I just not need all to bad. I just need to know. I just need to be able to visualize what it looks like in the tournament. Like, defund the police is so hard for people because they have a hard time of understanding, you know, if someone steals my purse, what happens? Like, what does the world look like under these other kinds of... Right, right. Um, and so I just, I'm not, like, I'm totally with you, but I'm, like, realizing about myself, I guess this is why I have this podcast, that I need to explore and try to paint a picture for folks of what that alternative looks like. 
which is why you need to balance the pop culture episodes with uh, navel gazy theory episodes and stuff like that too. But that's All good. Right, okay. I do one pop culture episode like every t- two months. Chill your I know. Chill your it was, I was just like, I was like, ah, I didn't see the movie, but I am a Trekkie. Do you remember the episode where there's like a post gender society? If you were persecuted for showing signs of gender, any yeah. gender. Riker. And then Riker, yes, Riker, yeah, he naturally. Yeah, up with the person, yeah. Riker turns to somebody on, go figure, and... And then they want to, like, do they want to, like, like, become a woman? Isn't that the Yeah, the but just, a, yeah, just, just like a cis woman, and uh-huh. but that she can't show that because it's a gender of any kind, and that's yeah, bad. Yeah, and you get reprogrammed if you admit that you are swaying one way or the yeah. other gender-wise. Yeah, sort of was ahead perfect. of its time. It was like, wait, wait, ahead of the time, for sure. But I just yeah. want to share that story about the troll under the bridge and like just because it's about checks and balances, right? Like yeah, private or public power, checks and balance, private power. Yeah. But if it's become – so you have to weaken it so it doesn't become stronger than the – worse than the other one. So you have internal checks and balances inside of public power. Mm-hmm. But private power doesn't have that problem mm-hmm. to weaken it. And now it's global. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why – national leftism is doomed because your enemy is international so if there's no international progressive well that's part of why i mean i really appreciate um dr cbs and um i just said his name uh, gerald horn making this case about why internationalism is so important it was funny on my radar today i made reference to the um the black socialist party guy who just got arrested by the fbi last month um, he was just on Democracy Now. He's been doing the rounds. They talked about him on Katie's show. And um, I, the, they were basically – the FBI accused him of being a Russian agent because, uh, you know, reasons. And he was like, this is so ridiculous. I've been in core chapters fighting this fight since I was like 16 years old. No Russian ever had to tell me to fight for black liberation. But the people were mad. You know, these libs are mad because – part of the quote-unquote Russian, Russian information is to put out stuff about how bad America is to black people. Well, Russians don't have to tell black people that America is bad for black people. They just are agreeing. And the, the, this, they were basically using the fact that this guy had shown solidarity with Russian workers and had you know shared this political tradition and all these kinds of things as evidence that he was a bad actor being infiltrated. And it's like, what, what, what kind of a place does that put us in, in terms of our ability to have solidarity with people across the world? If your friendship with someone in a country that's considered to be a quote unquote bad country because of their leadership is evidence of you being a co-conspirator in some insurrection, you know, this, this, some like treasonous plot to take over America. Like I can't be friends with a Russian person. I can't have solidarity with a Russian person. No, you have to keep your digital identity totally clean, but you never can because, well, you know, the Snowden, anything Snowden says is that every step you take is data recorded and it's not necessarily like there's somebody watching it. They don't have the manpower to surveil everything you do all day long, but they can look back if they have a red flag come up, they can aggregate it all and use it all as evidence at a further time in the future. Yeah. It all reminds me about Stephen Donzinger and yeah. Too. Like people, don't let him fall away from your uh, memories. <laughs> no, I brought him up. I think twice today in segments because this, this, that's this, awesome. this is the issue. I, like, yeah, I just, that's my problem. I didn't watch your segment either. Yeah, no, don't worry. No worries. No, I'm not expecting anybody to watch Rising all the time. But like this, this, this is the issue. Like again, if a, if Republicans are going to be like the D state is a problem, Republicans are a problem. 
like, how is a liberal, how is a leftist or a liberal, am I going to defend against that? When Stephen Donziger literally had the entire court system rigged and a, prosec- a prosecution run by a private law firm that was representing the firm that he had just, the, the, the oil company that he just won a judgment against, and not, like, you have to be skeptical. If Donald Trump says that this is a weaponized process and that they could have, you know, made up a stupid fake warrant and stuff, I might not think that is, there's evidence for that right now. But I'm not going to sit here and say that's impossible, knowing what I know about the world. Like, I, I won't have any credibility. Obviously, Donald Trump has an interest in putting that out there and, like, laying seeds for that and skepticism and doubt for people. And I don't think that that's likely to be true. But I will. I have the patience to wait a day till the thing comes out before making declarative statements because we know that our system is so corrupt. That's the whole point of what we've been talking about with defund. That's the whole point of what we've been talking about with Assange. That's the whole point of what we've been talking about with Donzinger. You know, like, I'm not going to cut off all of my arguments despite my face just because Donald Trump is saying a thing that I want to disagree with or because I think Donald Trump is acting in bad faith. My conspiracy theory about uh, the bust is that it's the, it's about the news story. It's not really whether about he's guilty or not. You want these people who will have a natural reaction to recodify their identity as Trump supporters who are going to be forced into a corner and choose yeah. To either do that or not, yeah, and that's, that's either right. going to going to revitalize him because there's a certain group of people and certain type of business for whom there's no such thing as bad press, mm-hmm. and he will always spit it back faster than you spit it at him. So he might strengthen him because I don't see I don't see Biden winning a second term. That's I mean I've been wrong about that sort of thing before. Running. I do not <laughs> think he's running. Right. So there's an opening there and you could see why Trump would want to pounce on it because there's people here who don't want to get to know. They just don't want to take the time to get to know somebody else and thinking is hard and they have their Trump 2024 signs up already. They don't even know who the yeah. platform is. They don't know who his running mate yeah. is. They don't need to know. They need to know that they've already built an identity and building another one is hard. Do you know what my secret fear is? Is that he picks, he doesn't compete with Ron DeSantis. He picks Ron DeSantis as his VP and then they're unstoppable. Oh, that's like the dystopian. You don't. We can just have documentaries now. We don't need horror movies. Just make it all about. <laughs> good, good, good callback. By the way, um, your point about how like they they made this into kind of a media stunt. I was. I said this on Rising Today. I think that there's an interesting parallel between what happened with this raid and Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, because both were intended to be kind of low key events. Like, they tried to do it when Trump wasn't there. It wasn't some, like, bust in the door with a, one of those log things, events. Similarly with Nancy Pelosi, people go to Taiwan. Yeah, sure, she's the highest profile in X number of years or whatever one is state where you want to frame it to make it seem unprecedented. But it wasn't actually unprecedented. People go to China. Like, you know, government officials go to China. The reason that it blew up is because, remember, when she was in the air, that uh, Chinese media guy tweeted, oh, this is unprecedented and terrible, and China has the right to blow her out of the sky which projected that started all this discourse about how was Nancy Pelosi going to be blown out of the sky and we're going to have world war three, but it was very much a media creation. There's a world where he didn't tweet that Nancy Pelosi landed, nobody cared. And we all moved on. And same with this raid. There's a world where Trump doesn't hop on truth social and start tweeting about it and saying that this is a witch hunt. And it was like, Oh, you know, a day long story. So, you know, I think that you're right. Like the conservative people, people, people know how to make something of something. And I'll make pay out of any anything that happens if it gets the clicks. But yeah, the, if if they shot Nancy Pelosi out of the sky, then we were always going to war. Yeah. And 
all the saber rattling. It's something like well, every three to four months, North Korea is in the news again, rattling the saber. It's all these very predictable cycles. And like Trump will have life for X number of weeks. And in about six to 10 weeks, transsexuals will come back and you'll have another episode about that. And about eight weeks after that, you're going to have uh, abortion come back as some state's going to try to undo what the federal government did. It's like so predictable, Yeah, I guess. You're right. I mean, your ogre story is, yeah. Yeah, it's just a Look, bigger ogre with a larger tax. Yeah, I appreciate yeah, you calling, Jonathan. I'm sorry I almost missed you, but I'm glad I got you in there. You've been very patient. That was a great show. Have a, have a good one. Keep the faith. You too. All right, doctor. How, how have you been, sir? Good evening, Brianna. Good evening. Long time no chat. What's on your mind? Uh, first, I want to say that um, some of your Freudian clips have been entertaining. Um, <laughs> what did that, I say? As uh, I had a chamomile beer, don't hold it against me. You know I like my chamomile beer. The one you mentioned, um, you, you you meant to say lawyer, but instead said oh, lawyer. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, that had me dying while I was working. <laughs> that was hilarious. And then um, earlier on this, this call-in, when you were talking about Owen Higgins, you were trying to say toxic, but you said talking shit or something like that. Of that, so yeah, I'm loving your Freudian slips. I feel like the gangster you are just is just coming out. Um, <laughs> it's my sure. tether. It's my tether trying to come <laughs> come out from the other side. <laughs> so um, I wanted to talk about something different. Um, I listened to your um, segment on rising with uh, I think her name is Kate Kate Klonick. Um mm-hmm about the whole abortion, Facebook abortion, mm-hmm. um, the law, yeah, a collaboration. And I'm not going to refute everything that she mentioned, mm-hmm. um, but I'll try to contribute to the conversation the best I can. Because, you know, she said some things that didn't make sense to me, given the security and privacy of my um, actual technical field. Okay, uh, so, so just to set it up for people who didn't listen, it was an interview about the story about how Facebook gave over the information um, to prosecutors who were prosecuting a mother and her daughter who secured a, a, a board a board of accounts and had an abortion in Kansas be, two weeks or three weeks beyond the abortion deadline. This wasn't really a Dobbs case. It was the preexisting abortion deadline of 20 weeks. And they're being prosecuted. People are very mad about Facebook over it. And this is a technical expert who basically argued that uh, the warrant didn't say anything about abortion. It wasn't like Facebook really had the information, even if they wanted to step in and decide not to give over the information. What they gave over was routine. That's what they always do. And text, if they had sent it to each other outside of the Messenger app, it would have been encrypted end-to-end, and Facebook wouldn't have anything to turn over. But basically, you have to opt into that setting if you're using Messenger, and therefore, that's that's the landscape. Just to summarize, but go but go ahead, uh, Doctor. Yes. Okay. So, the, so the, some of the things, points that you made, I want I would like to clarify. Sure. So you know, by like default, um, you know, as long as I've been studying security and privacy, tech platforms have been always collaborating with law enforcement, especially particularly when they they um, they subpoena um, they're subpoenaed. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. So, you know, like, for example, when Snapchat first came out and we had, uh, uh, you know, quote unquote, disappearing 10 second uh, Snapchats or messages, mm-hmm. um, 
end users wouldn't be able to access the uh, uh, their messages after the 10 seconds, but Snapchat would keep it for like three months. And that was a, um, a wall that law enforcement would hit because um, if they wanted to uh, subpoena somebody's um, communication uh, between two parties, if it happened past three months, Snapchat wouldn't, uh, um, wouldn't have that data. Um, but they were, you know, if they did, they would provide it. So that was that was one of the reasons why I did like Snapchat because I know that they didn't have the data for a long period of time as compared to like more established platforms like Facebook. Um, so when I saw the Facebook article, I mean, uh, the article about Facebook handing over information to law enforcement, I'm like, this is intentionally misleading and they're trying to manipulate their, um, their, uh, the public to incite, you know, to incite them. Although I thought it was, you know, worth uh, worth it just to get people riled up and make people more aware about their privacy. Mm -hmm. um, th that article was, I think, was quite misleading. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I did agree with her in that regard. But what I thought she, where I thought she was a little bit vague was the term end-to-end -end um, encryption. Okay. Um, you know, by default, any tech platform or app um, worth their salt already uses end-to-end -end encryption. Like, if let's say Ms. Brianna Joy Gray wants to send uh, Olayemi Olorin to uh, messages on like Twitter or Instagram, your messages are this this by default end-to-end -end, um, encryption. Um. Um, she had to be more specific in her use of end -to -end encryption. So maybe I, I'll give you some a basic context. So there's basically two different types of keys um, or cryptographic key algorithms. There's symmetric key algorithm and asymmetric key algorithm. So in the former, you have the same key encrypts, um, the same key you use to encrypt data is the same key you use to decrypt data. So, I mean, as you may guess, in a latter case, you have two different keys, the private key, which you keep to yourself, you don't want to share it with anyone, and that's used to encrypt data, um, encrypt data. and the other, the public key, which you share with everyone is used to uh, decrypt data. So, why is this important? Um, where do these keys exist, right? So, with end-to-end -end encryption, um, typically in a client-server model, you, you know, um, the uh, let's say Facebook, for example, if you're trying to exchange messages with um, um, two parties, that's by default end-to-end -end encryption, but end-to-end -end encryption, but they host your keys, so they they can always access your data. They can always decrypt your data. Um, so that's why, what's that annoying reporter's name? Ken uh, Um He uses Signal because Signal as a service only facilitates the um, the uh, transfer of keys between two devices. So that's why if you, if Ken Kippenstein decides to, um, or he, let's say he loses his phone, um, and he gets a new phone and downloads Signal. He can can he can never access any of the messages that he had on his prior phone mm. because 
those keys only exist on on uh, between his old device and whoever whomever he was uh, in contact with. Okay. Um. So yeah. So she was. So 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 that's why I was like when she was talking, I was it, it, it perturbed me a bit because it can lead people to the wrong conclusion that their data is not in, encrypted um, already. You're, well, you're help, using... help me not help me not got this, doctor. My impression of what she was saying is that if you send a message in Facebook, your data is safe. It's end to end and it's safe. However, Messenger is different. You have to opt into that. It's going to become, I think, next month default, perhaps because Facebook is not wanting to be accused of turning over information anymore. And they, although they always cooperate with the cops, they would rather not be implicated in all of this. And so they want to default into end to end so they can genuinely hold, throw their hands up and say, oh, it wasn't me. I can't give you anything, cops. I'm out of this. Okay. So is that incorrect? Is she incorrect that if you send something, message to message in Facebook, the cops can't, they can't turn it over to the cops? And if you opt into it on Messenger, they can't turn it over to the cops? And if you default on Messenger as of like a month from now, they also won't turn it into the cops. Is that inaccurate? I mean, it's a possibility. I don't know the um, actual specifics. I mean, I did, I did, I do, I do remember that she mentioned that, and like, I'm never going to trust Facebook. Um, um, so if, if, if indeed that Facebook, um, you know, uh, transitions to a model where they do not host keys at all, only end users, basically, you can call it. Uh, user to user encryption. If that's true, then yes, then it'll be it'll be exactly like Signal, where Facebook is only a uh, facilitator. They their their um their their service would help you um, exchange keys between uh, two different parties, but would never host keys themselves. And and so when this this update i mean i never i haven't seen this um this uh this uh new feature uh, yeah i haven't looked it up but one quick test to ensure that it is working is you'll you'll start this once you opt in or you change to a default setting where you have this user to user encryption send a message to um Olayemi and um um then delete the app off your phone, like log out, delete the app, go to a different device, log back in. And if you see the same message, then then absolutely Facebook is still hosting your keys. Now they might try to do some magic, maybe like some indirect um, uh, uh, cryptographic algorithm where, you know, there's like a, a third key that, you know, let's say maybe they use your number, your phone number as a um, key. But I mean, either way, their keys still exist. So, so think about the like, um, like um, cryptocurrency, right? That's, oh boy! That's okay, pretty, doctor, that's... doctor. <laughs> like, I really appreciate you. I was trying to make you the last call of the night, but I gotta, I gotta wrap because I was trying to get other people in. But I, I take your point. I appreciate that that test to see if something is actually end to end. Yes. Um, and I appreciate you giving us a little bit of background how this works, but this does feel like a, a big subject that's a little bit of a frolicking detour. So I want to, I don't know that I want to spend a ton more time on this, but 
but maybe what I'll do is get Evan Greer or somebody like that back on the podcast and we can talk through some of the stuff because, you know, I do think that there is a bigger conversation to be had about this and there was some misinformation going on about what actually Facebook was doing and how much of that, that was a departure from the norm. But I think I appreciate you calling in. You have a good night. Okay, you too. All right. Um, I'm going to do just one more to see because I think I want to close on the on the, some of the subjects at hand. Uh, Mark, I don't think I've seen you in the chat before, so I'm going to pull you up. What's on your mind, Mark? Okay, not Mark. Uh, T. Jasmine. Close us out. T. Jasmine? T. Jasmine going once, T. Jasmine going twice. All right. Henry, it's you. Henry, you still with us? Okay, look, if the Lord wants me to close this podcast out, I am more than happy to oblige. I appreciate all of you. This has been a really good show. I appreciate all the support and solidarity. Hey, Bri, uh, can you hear me now? Oh, oh, okay, I'm going to turn this outro music down. Okay, Henry, save by the bell. <laughs> okay, word. Yeah, I just had to enable microphone, apparently. <clears throat> but, I mean, I was going to, the original thing I was going to say is, like, uh, you know about the part in West Wing where Josh Lyman is, like, the press secretary for, like, five minutes and then makes up a secret plan to fight inflation? Doesn't yes. that remind you of the Build Back Better becoming the Inflation Reduction Act? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like all of a sudden it was a secret plan to fight inflation all along. Yeah, I think that's great. Strength. Yeah, that is a, that's a funny parallel. I'll bring it up. I'm supposed to be going, you know, the West Wing guys are coming to the end of the series and they're doing their final shows and they want me to be on one of the final shows. I'm not, we haven't scheduled a time yet, but I will definitely mention that to them. I think they'll love cool. that. Cool. Yeah. Secret plan to fight inflation. And, you know, that last guy was making some great points about encryption. I, I work in security and networking and stuff like public key, private key, all, sort, all that sort of stuff is like, I think that's something, I, I, that's well, something I that people just got to know. We'll do, a, we'll do it. I promise you. <laughs> I'm just trying to be really honest with you guys that my mental no, it's capacity fine. at 1136 at the end of the day yeah. that has just transpired. I just want to be honest with you. This stuff, these words are bouncing off of my head <laughs> and right back well, out to the ether. But I, I totally agree with you that we should talk about this. I'm, yeah, don't I'm worry. I'm truly committed to it. I won't go into the whole thing about encryption. But <laughs> okay, just, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Take your, just, take I recommend your reading the article. Just go to Wikipedia. Look up public key encryption. Might blow your mind. Might not. Who knows? Okay. Uh, I believe but, you. But what I'll do, doctor, when you said cryptocurrency, I was like, oh. tag out. Okay, well. No, I'm not. But you guys are right. Like, I totally, it's like this is how I talk to vegans. I'm wrong. You're right. I completely understand, but I'm just letting you know what my capacity is in this moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just trust me. I recommend just two topics that if you could research, uh, if, if I could tell any like average person to like two security topics that you might want to look up to understand how computers work. One is public private encryption. Two, public private keys. Two is hashing. And we won't even go into hashing, just forget I mentioned it, but you might see that in the future. Who knows? Okay. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I, hashing, public, private, right. keys, Alicia Keys, 
<laughs> key lime pie. Key lime pie. Right. I'm, I'm right. on it. I'm on it, Henry. Thank you. Sweet, sweet. So one idea that I had that I thought might be interesting, maybe not, but is like recently we've been talking about inflation a lot, right? Uh-huh. Obviously, you know, the secret president's secret plan to fight inflation, so on and so forth. Uh, a lot of these words like inflation, deflation, recession, depression, uh, taxation, so on and so forth, they really just boil down to affecting the people who don't have the power to pass the burden on to the next person. Mm. I mean, I have the, I pro- like, in a year or two, if I, when I re- renegotiate my contracts with my clients, I'll probably be able to say, like, hey, inflation's up. So can you give me an extra 5%? We'll split the difference or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's not really going to matter that much to me. My life will keep on going just fine. Mm-hmm. But for people who are on fixed income and are not getting any cost of living adjustment, it's going to hurt them. You know, so the people who don't have the ability to pass on the burden of the inflation to the next person. So the point is that like all these words, they kind of just obfuscate the issue of, of the person ultimately this affects the person who cannot pass the burden on the person that's really at the bottom you know i really like that framing i really like that yeah that's a Thank very you. useful way to think about it i was we were talking about this on i think rising and i was saying the richard wolf thing about like if you just think about inflation as people raising prices and like think about who can raise prices i mean it's a similar kind of concept right mm-hmm. you know you you're, what you're describing is your ability to raise the cost to your clients to keep yourself from feeling the load, right? And like, who can who can right. do that? Who can pass it on? And who was, might even be taking advantage of being able to do that because the narrative about inflation, even if they don't necessarily even endure higher costs themselves, and and who's yeah. stuck at the bottom? Who doesn't have that bargaining power? Exactly. I think a lot of people that complain about inflation actually do have the bargaining power to pass it on. And but I don't know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Who knows? But really, the people that I think it affects are the people that don't have the power to pass it on. Mm. So, anyways, in terms of uh, further dealing with inflation, uh, my thinking is that economically, there's kind of three things. One is deciding what we want to produce. The second, it like, do we care about Disney trips to vacations, or do you care about everybody getting two meals, three meals a day? The other one is uh, how are we going to produce it, or reorienting the means of production, if you would, towards producing what we decide to produce. And then the third one is yield, getting as much return as possible on the energy used to produce. So in order to really take control of all three of those, the only way I see it succeeding at best is through centralizing it through the government because economy of scale is what produces our modern world. If everyone was just building their own laptop, building their own computer, nobody would have a computer, but it only works through economy of scale. So anyways, that's just my inflation idea. Yeah. I, that... I, I, yeah, Henry, I, I, I feel like what you're picking up what you're putting down. Oh, thank you. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm and then... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. And then my next thought is that the like maybe a week or two ago there was a caller that said something like you know it's always part of the conversation is like what do we as leftists have to offer you know because you know 
a lot of it kind of gets framed as like dull and gray and like Soviet and like not like everyone gonna sacrifice, 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 you know? Uh, like you're not gonna be able to eat meat because we need to deal with global warming. You're not gonna be able to drive a car because we need to deal with global warming. You're not gonna be able to go on vacation because we have to deal with global warming, so on and so forth. But what do we have to offer people, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that this is a tricky question, but I think part of the answer can, it actually goes back to your conversation with Dr. Carl Hart on <laughs> how to get there as fast as possible, you know? I, I think Heroin. that... Heroin. Acid. I was gonna say, mushrooms. like, mushrooms, <laughs> acid, because, like, I've been able in my life to travel many places and do a lot of privileged things, but one of the most fun things I've ever done is swim in the ocean while high on LSD. I mean, that's not something that took a million dollars to accomplish. That's yeah. not something that took a billion pounds of carbon to accomplish. But yeah. it's one of the most fun things I've ever done. So I imagine yeah. that a lot of people would enjoy that sort of thing. So I think that that could be part of the answer of like, what do we have to offer in terms of leftism, socialism, that there are sort of experiences that are very positive and could be part of something we can offer. I mean, the other side of that coin is like more the uh, like psychological side of it in, in the sense of like, you can, be on, you can live a happy life and be on the right side of history. And even though you're gonna suffer and sacrifice and have uh, physical deprivation, you can be like spiritually happy. I mean, that's just not gonna fly, I'm sorry. Like you can, you, maybe you can tell that to some, some uh, rich kids are gonna be happy to sacrifice in the short term, but like, I'm not gonna go and tell someone living on the street that they have to sacrifice, you know, anything. That's just not gonna, they're not gonna hear that. So the idea of like <laughs> the mental aspect of it being like some kind of righteous thing, I mean, that's just not gonna work, especially not until rich people are actually uh, sacrificing and not indulging in their wasteful life lifestyles, so. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, the heat broke today, and it was a nice yeah. day, and Sweet. after rising, I walked, I'm not going to say the neighborhood, I, I always walk home, but I walked past my home to a very charming part of town, and I met a friend, and we had lunch, and then we walked to a little corner store and bought some groceries, and I got a little pie, a little big cherry pie that I'm about to eat. And nice. I sat outside, and it was so nice. And I found myself thinking, oh, I love my neighborhood. And D.C. is so great. And look at these hydrangeas. And there was something about just wandering around in, like, the five blocks around my apartment where I normally don't go, like, because it's been so hot. That made me think that there's so much beauty in having this small, intimate life. And, and looking at it's like that scene in the end of Men in Black where, you know, you open the locker, alien civilization in the locker, and then... In the marble, there's a whole universe. Things get smaller and smaller and smaller, and then they get bigger. You know, in, in the marble is the universe. I think that there are so many little universes in really intimate environments, and I do think there's something to saying that we should, you know, there's some beauty in being able to reimagine what we think of as being having these journeys, whether it's mushroom-driven, whether we come up with a holodeck-type thing like they have in Star Trek, whether you can meet your friend in the holodeck to go on vacation as opposed to getting on a plane and traveling around the world. I, I agree mm -hmm. with your idea that there needs to be a positive version of what a different kind of life can look at look like, and I, 
Um, I appreciate the space to try to figure what that, what that is. So thank you for calling in. No problem. Thank you for taking my call. Have a good one, Henry. You too. Against my better judgment, I'm going to bring T. Jasmine back up for another shot. But T. Jasmine, let me tell you this. We're going to be out of here by 11.50. Latest. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not. No, it's not you. It's not you. It's me. It's me realizing that we've been on here for almost four hours and that I need to uh, eat this cherry pie that I just now remembered that I had. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Anyways, um, you know it's it's a it's a long day, uh, especially the one that you had on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's part of my anxiety because my computer died. I haven't actually looked at what's happened in the last four hours. So uh, <laughs> I don't even know what awaits me, but we'll see. Hey, I don't know what you just did, but you just went really, really quiet. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, um, I, I, I'm not on Twitter. Are you hearing me? Yeah, you're back. You're back. You just out for a second i don't know what happened the screen went away so i don't know if that's what happened the screen went the screen went black yeah. um so twitter blocked me because there was a guy i was in a tweet where a guy said that someone molested him he was sharing a bunk with um a co-worker they were on some kind of um thing you know retreat um and the co-worker molested him Oh, and he pretended to be asleep, but he moved the guy's hand away. And he, at the time, he was wondering if he should have punched the guy or if she, he should have just let it be. And I said, you should have punched the guy. Well, that got me blocked from Twitter for a week. So mm. interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is a, this is one of these interesting cases where you're not supposed to advocate violence on Twitter, but you got banned for that, which seems kind of low ball and low stakes. And a lot of people were like, I want to hang a Russian from a tree after the invasion. And that didn't get people blocked. And you know, that's a little bit what we were talking about with that episode. With the Exactly. They're very inconsistent. But there's also another inconsistency that I have a problem with. And that's when leftists are like fair weather um, against the FBI, but pro the FBI, as long as somebody else on the opposite side is... You know, like uh, Donald Trump is being raided. So all of a sudden they're pro like, be consistent. Last week, the FBI went into a communist, raided a communist, a black communist house yeah. or, you know, and I was very upset about it. I was very upset about it the entire time. Um, and, you know, there were some FBA people on, on, I don't know if you know what FBA person is on Twitter, yeah, <laughs> but they call like themselves. The they're like, yeah, and they're very anti-Caribbean, anti Caribbean, yeah, anti foundational um, black, foundational yeah. black, yeah. and and they 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 turn all their ire against um, um, Caribbean people and and African people, and of course yeah. I'm Jamaican, mm -hmm. so you know, so I had to tweet to them and say, this is why you're turning against other black people, but these are who you should actually be focusing on. They're raiding black American homes, claiming that they're Russian agents. And, and this is what you should be turning your ire on because these people are really the enemy. The FBI, they killed um, Martin Luther King. They, you know, oh my God. Is yeah, this, this was this was the subject of the radar today. And I brought up the, the gentleman who was a, whose house was raided last month. 
And I think that's a really good example. In fact, I was trying to see if I could get him on the show. I'm going to see if I saw him. He was on in Democracy Now!, um, but his DMs aren't open, and I have to figure out if I can get in contact with him because I think it would be great to do an episode about all of this FBI stuff with someone like him who's been through it and uh, an author that I've reached out to who wrote a book on the history of the FBI. I'm trying to see if I can get that crack a lacking, but fingers crossed. Yeah. Also, um, Aaron Mate, he was the one who brought up um, the story about the raid. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could get him on. Yeah, Maybe absolutely. he has some more, you know, details. But people, I can't, these people, I'm not, I'm sorry. There's some inconsistency with people who call themselves leftists. Mm -hmm. Like as long as it's something that, you know, pro something against Trump, all of a sudden they're pro the FBI, all of a sudden they're pro like, like be consistent and also be for freedoms. You can't be for the FBI and say you're a leftist. I'm sorry. They're not, it's not a good institution. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I tend to agree. No, no arguments for me there. Anyway, I'm, I, I'm not on Twitter cause probably for the next few days, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm in your corner on this one. Hey, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm sorry about your Twitter ban and thankfully these things are usually pretty temporary and I look forward to being back. I've got to, got to tell you, I think that you might be dodging a bullet not being on Twitter right now. <laughs> I'm a little jealous, but, you know, every, sometimes sometimes these Twitter bands are like a little bit of a mental health day that nobody asked for, but that we definitely need. So I hope you're able to enjoy your Friday and the start of your weekend before you get sucked back into these Twitter streets. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, I let you go because you've been, you've been on for four hours. So thanks for hearing me. Thank you. I appreciate you. We did a good job with this queue today, guys. We make, got through a lot of people. I know I'll be running my mouth, but we had a lot to cover, and I really enjoyed the comments, as always. I think it was a particularly insightful day. I loved a lot of the Nope conversation. You guys are so insightful. I appreciate you so much. Um, and, of course, I appreciate your, your support on this latest round of Twitter stuff. Stay tuned for what happens with this interview with Chank tomorrow. I think it will hopefully be productive and good. And I will try to get a FBI themed episode crack a for you as well. I hear what you're saying about these pop culture episodes. It seems like most people appreciate them. Although obviously this is a self-selected crowd into the folks who obviously liked the episode. Um, but truly, truly I do these things for like four hours because I genuinely enjoy talking to you. I genuinely enjoy your feedback. I learn. I'm edified. You guys are so insightful and so compassionate. And you really remind me why it's worth doing. So I hope everyone can get through their last day of the week and get some peace this weekend. The heat has broken. It's supposed to be nice through the weekend. Uh, Every single one of you deserves that little glimpse of joy that comes from a beautiful late summer day. I hope you get it. Take care of yourselves. I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lima bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. 
I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah, I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like... I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we move and it feels just like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey? We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild. And our circumference, big assumptions, it ain't nothing.